This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> I love you. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. You are listening to the best pro wrestling podcast on the planet. I am the king of banter, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, a reasoned and well-explained man, the leader of the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, an internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist as heard on BBC Radio, your problematic fave, and a good family man, Joe Lanza. And I am here with the captain, the birthday boy, Rich Krejci, who is doing this dopey podcast on his 37th birthday. <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on, no, no, no. I think your numbers are a little off there, but... Well, this is it revenge. Is indeed, it is indeed my birthday, but... How many years have you tacked on, like, 10 years <laughs> to my birthday? Oh, I would never. I, you know, I do. I always tack in 10. Like, I don't even know what you, I don't even know how old you actually are anymore, because I've lied about it so many times. Yeah. And it enhance it. I'm actually not quite positive. Like, I remember when we first started doing the podcast, how old you were, uh, but then I've made fun of you so many times, I don't know anymore. You, you, For all I know, you could be 40. I think you're 38, but you might be 39. I don't know how old you are anymore. You've worked yourself into a shoot. You have, I legitimately have no clue. You have no idea how old I am, and we're going to leave it at that, because my birthday will roll around, and you'll call me, you know, uh, 67 years old again, or whatever it is. You'll, you'll continue on with this, with this uh, ridiculous gimmick. Um, but I got to tell you, Craig, uh, you're not that far off from 37. You're, you're getting up there now. Yeah, 32 is, is, is what I went, yeah, and it, it like, today, yeah, I, I felt it. You know, I really did. I got out of bed, and I was a little more sore. I, like, played basketball the day prior, and I was, like, my knee hurt, and it swelled up overnight, and I'm like, what the hell? And I just, I woke up, my neck hurts, and it's just, yeah, I felt, I felt all of 32 today, and it, it, 32 just has a, you know, 30 was, was like, oh, yeah, 30, whatever, nice round number. 31 was like, ah, whatever. for whatever reason, 32, man, it really feels like, oh, God, like, you're just kind of, your life's just kind of over, you're right, <laughs> at 32, it's just like, oh, man, like, what, what what else is there to live for at this point? This you know? is, you know, there's a lot of people listening to this cursing you, right? Because <laughs> they're, you know, they're in their 40s. Yeah, and- <laughs> they're, you know, anyone older than you is like, what the fuck is this guy talking about, you know? I got one question for you. How's the boner holding up? At thirty two. Uh, uh you know, doing all right. Doing all right. Not what it was when it was eighteen, but you know, it's it's fine. It does well. Yeah. Yeah. Do better if we had a sponsorship, but you know, that's fine. Hint, hint, uh, audio boom. Well, you know, we, I'm not taking any of those pills. <laughs> we we almost had that one, which we won't name because we're not gonna yes, obviously they're not paying we us. We're not paying us. We really, really, well, really we didn't even try to kim one. us and we almost had that one. And let's let's face it, if any show would have done power reads for a sponsor like that. That's what I told them. I told him that's our wheelhouse. I was like, we will kill it. I promise you we'll kill it with that one, but yeah, it didn't quite, uh, yeah, didn't quite work out. So They're crazy for not taking us up on that. Um, but, uh, I, oh my God, I just got the... Uh, oh, that was mass panic, Rich. I, I, I almost had to do the old Windows update. 
which would have set the show back about a... Oh, no. <laughs> the, the, the Windows update you cannot not opt in the for. One, you just I, have I, to I do was, it. Yeah. A lump was in my throat. I thought it was the one that you cannot delay, uh, but it is the one you can delay. How You know, you'd, you'd think the odds of that are slim. How many shows have we had delayed thanks to the uh, forced Windows update? Probably yeah, somewhere many. in the neighborhood of 5, 6, or 73, right? Somewhere in there, yeah, I remember one vivid one in my mind as we were interviewing, and, and this man appeared on, on Raw, I think, uh, on Monday, which is a nice little segue here. Uh, Micah Taylor, remember we were doing an interview with him? Yes. Uh, in our early, early, early days. People don't know, I, I'm sure you can maybe find it, but you probably don't want to because it's probably terrible. But um, not because of Micah, because of us, because we were idiots then, and we're, we're, we're still idiots now. But I remember halfway through that interview, it came up, and I was like, Micah, I gotta go. We'll be right back. And I remember him just being like, all right, man, like whatever, you know, like just kind of like, like, how do you explain that? Like these, these morons, he comes onto the show with these idiots who have no following in this dumb, stupid podcast that nobody cares about and nobody listens to. And then like halfway through the interview, I tell him, Hey, shut up. I'll be right back in 20 minutes as my thing updates or whatever. And he stuck with it and he stuck through. But I remember that one being particularly just like, are you kidding me? Like it, it, it came up like in the middle of the show and was like resetting in three minutes. And I'm like, what the hell? And yeah. of course it took as long as humanly possible to, cause you're staring at that screen you're waiting for it to end it probably was only 10 minutes but it, it may as well felt like three hours as you're just staring there and it's at 37 percent. then it's at 39 percent. you're like oh come on jesus christ like you know I'm, I'm frantically texting you like tell him i'm coming i'm almost there so that one i, I remember pretty vividly as, as as delaying the actual or not delaying the show but like really actually interrupting the show as we were doing it no, the worst is when it's like it gets up to like 90 percent, and then the screen just goes blank and then you're left to wonder what's happening are we resetting here? Are we finishing up? Did it not work? What the fuck is going on? The, that's always the most nerve-wracking. But yeah, those updates have interrupted the show many times. Micah Taylor was on Raw this week dragging Becky Lynch from the ring yes. as yeah, one right, of the right. police officers. He was also on SmackDown the week before walking down a hallway. So uh, uh, good for Micah Taylor. He was a WWE developmental wrestler in the um, Bill DeMott, um, what was it? I guess it would have been... Deep South, Deep right? South, Deep South. The Deep yeah. South era. Yeah. And um, I caught up with him at an indie show about three or four years ago, and he remembered us. And um, oh god, <laughs> nah, yeah, we had a lovely conversation. Like he remembered intimate details about that interview. And um, you know, I probably you know talked to him for a half hour or whatever um, before he had to go. He was uh, he was riding with MVP that night. And they were heading to uh, to make the next town rich, as the as the boys in the business say. So uh, that was my run in with Micah Taylor a couple years ago. But uh, he's still out there, and he's still you know he's still working. I know that he does. Um, he's got some non wrestling stuff that puts the food on the table, and I think he just he think he's a weekend warrior at this point. I, I you know I don't think he's uh, out there grinding trying to get back into the NXT. But uh, he's a guy who gets out there and works an indie show now and then. So uh, so good for him. But uh, but yeah, you, that was a nice way to get us off of talking about your boner, you know, because I could <laughs> I you. could yeah, I could feel it. you tugging at your collar over there, like ah, yeah, you know, yeah, the boner's all right. You know? But uh, but you know, we, we we got off of that. But we got a ton of topics to get to, and we probably shouldn't waste any more time. Let's see what we got on, on our plate here. We got a ton of WWE. We got some football talk. And, and let me tell you ah. something. Rich wanted to do the football talk. And uh, we're actually going to lead off with that. Some XFL uh, news breaking. And then, then we're going to segue that into some WWE stuff. Ton of news. 
coming out of WWE this week with Bruce Pritchard coming back into the company, a bunch of wrestlers exiting the company, uh, some some uh, European wrestlers uh, being signed earlier today uh, as we record this on Wednesday the 27th, uh, so a Kofi Kingston follow-up from last week. Then we've got some New Japan stuff to get to. Of course, the Honor Rising shows, the New Japan Cup brackets are out, and everybody seems to be excited and jacked up about that. And then we've got the anniversary show, the 47th anniversary show to preview. That looks like a very fun show. And then we're going to close things out this week with some All Japan talk. We haven't done any detailed All Japan talk in a while. They had a big show from Yokohama this past week with the uh, finals of the Junior Battle of Glory, which is traditionally the worst tournament of the year in all of Japan. And uh, the main event of that show was Kento Miyahara defending the Triple Crown against Suwama. And uh, Rich, just doesn't happen often, but Twitter got mad at me when I talked about that match. Can you believe oh, it? Oh, no. Can, Are you kidding? Surprising. Really? But yeah, Twitter was huh. a little upset. Um, they were all wrong, but they were upset with me. So uh, we'll talk about the All Japan show from Yokohama and the Carnival Blocks with a uh, very awesome-looking A Block. <laughs> and the B Block. And there's a B <laughs> Block, too. too. Yeah. And there's also a second block, and that's good for them. They, uh, yeah. They're all nice people. I think, you know, all, all of them a lot are, of nice guys in the B Block, from what <laughs> right, I understand. Right, a lot of... Uh, yeah. Good hands. Uh, I don't. I don't, I don't know if they're good hands. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the correct term. Just I guess Joe Doring is a very, very nice man, and I'm I'm very glad he beat cancer. So. Oh yeah, they're not. <laughs> we should be fair. Uh, they're not all a bunch of stiffs in the uh, in, in the B block, but uh, the B block is uh, yeah, not quite as enticing as the A block. <laughs> but we'll get to that in the in the third hour or at whatever point we we reach the the third segment of the show. But Rich. I couldn't believe this when you brought it up, but uh, you're all jacked up to talk some AAF football. And I got to tell you, as a big AAF fan and a man who almost rolled out the AAF intelligentsia on the Patreon side, I'm all for it. You want to break down the San Diego fleet uh, with Mike March? You want to break down Steve Spurrier 3-0 in first place? Where do you want to start this, Rich? Yeah, so so uh, this topic came up this week, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, of most pro football these days, and I don't really watch a ton uh, either and and but I've been you know kind of hearing some stuff about the AAF and and I've heard pretty good things and I've I've checked out like you know five or six minutes of a game or whatnot watch some highlights and I'm 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 more of anything a fan of like renegade sports leagues like it's one of my favorite like other than wrestling and 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 like basketball like renegade sports leagues is probably the thing I love the most in terms of like the USFL like I read that book uh, Jeff Perlman just released a book. Uh, this year about the USFL, which is awesome and, and, and highly recommended. And, and the XFL, obviously, there was that 30 for 30 documentary. So whether no matter what sport it is, like there's um, a, a, a podcast called Good Seat Still Available, uh, which is like a – he delves into the, the host will like interview a guy about some old sports league. So I'll listen to like the World Hockey Association episode and love it. Or he's got an episode about the Hartford Whalers and I'll love that. Like any sort of obscure sports leagues or obscure sports teams, I really love that. Or defunct sports leagues and defunct sports teams, I really, really love that. So uh, this got me because of, you know, the AAF is, is you know, <laughs> I'm guessing it's probably not going to last uh, for the next, you know, five decades and become an institution in America. And But it's still been pretty fun to kind of see, you know, whole new jerseys and a whole new league and, and all that stuff going on. And, and this week we heard some really interesting news and so this will be kind of a double dip of of you can kind of let us know a little bit about the AF and then also this news uh that came out earlier this week so as far as the AF let me I'll, I'll let you talk about it first what what's sort of for people that haven't watched it quite yet what what's sort of your quick and and, and dirty sort of impressions of the league thus far okay so eventually we're going to tie this into Vince McMahon 
Okay. Yes, we're going to get there. We're, but. we're not We're not going to sit here and give you an hour worth of uh, minor league football talk. This is going to tie into Vince McMahon and the XFL news that broke, um, I guess, over the last couple of days. But y- y- you can't really talk about this XFL story without breaking down the AAF a little bit because they beat them to the punch and they've started a year early. And really what we've learned is, and you're more – plugged into this and I am. The only reason the AAF exists is because the XF is because Vince McMahon insisted on starting the XFL back up himself instead of selling the trademark. Is that correct? So that yeah, so essentially what happened was is and, and most people, if you haven't seen this, the 30 for 30 on the XFL is definitely a go out of your way to watch that one. Just a com- incredibly produced one. It was done by uh, uh, Charlie Ebersol, who's uh, Dick Ebersol, the famous, you know, obviously TV producer and sports producer, uh, NBC Sports. Uh, Dick Ebersol's son, Charlie Ebersol. So he he kind of was the executive producer of this XFL documentary. You know, it talks about Vince McMahon. There's Vince McMahon and Dick Ebersol at the table saying, oh, hey, we should, you know, I, I think the final scene is those two at, like, the table and saying, hey, we should, you know, we could have done something with that. Or, hey, we should do it again. Or, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Well, essentially, Charlie decided, yeah, that's not a bad idea. So he finishes the production of that 30 for 30 and decides, you know what? I should bring back the XFL. Like I should, I should get this like a thing. So he goes to Vince McMahon and offers $50 million for the XFL. So this, this came out in a lawsuit. We don't have to give you the quick and dirty of the lawsuit. There's a lawsuit going on of who owns the AAF and all this sort of mumble jumble. We'll get to that eventually, I think. But essentially, Charlie Ebersole, who produces that 30 for 30, goes to Vince McMahon and says, I want to give you $50 million for the trademark of the XFL. Vince McMahon, in I guess his infinite wisdom, I don't know how you kind of describe it, says, hmm, I guess there's interest in this XFL thing again. Tells Charlie to hit the bricks, and then decides he now is going to found the XFL. He's going to re, re, re-christen the XFL. It's going to come back. So that's why you got that real rushed, out-of-nowhere press conference where he's in front of a green screen, and it looks like he just woke up five seconds ago, and he's talking about the XFL, and, and he's just rambling on about nonsense about the XFL. And then they're essentially saying, hey, we're going to get ready to go 2020. Well, then the AAF comes out a few weeks after that and says that they're going to be running but a year earlier. So they're going to start running already in 2019 while the XFL is going to wait another year. So essentially what, what happened was, and I'm just I'm flabbergasted by this, is that Charlie Ebersole thought so much of the XFL that he was going to give Vince McMahon $50 million to do it, which seems like a, a ridiculous figure for the XFL, which was a, a monumental failure uh, in, in sports leagues. And it has some like some sort of niche, like, ah, yeah, it's kind of funny or whatever, but it was a monumental failure in sports. Like, wrestling fans laugh about it, and everybody kind of laughs about it, but it, but an absolute abject failure. It lost a shit ton of money, and was just a complete disaster from, from beginning to end. So he essentially thought that that was worth $50 million, and then Vince McMahon, <laughs> I, I don't know who's more, who's more off base here, or who's more weird, or who's more out of their mind. Vince McMahon decides, I'm not going to take that $50 million that you're about to hand me. Instead, I am going to reinvest in this league to the point where, and, and we remember this when we talked about it, when the XFL was announced that, that, that WWE board of directors and all that sort of stuff said, oh, we don't want any fucking part of this, man. Are you kidding? And made him make his own company. So it's run by Alpha Entertainment. It's not run by WWE. And a lot of it is Vince McMahon's capital that's going into it because WWE did not want to get involved in losing a shit ton of money with the XFL again. So I, I'm, I, Joe, what, what, where do you stand? Who is more out of their mind? Charlie Ebersole for wanting to buy the XFL for $50 million or Vince McMahon for not taking $50 million for the XFL trademark? They're both insane. Like, what are these people doing? Insane people. If you want to start another football league, I don't even know why you would want to do that. But why would you want to tarnish it with the XFL letters when it's widely known, infamously, as one of the biggest sports failures of modern times, if not all times? It was that much of a failure. Why would you want those letters associated with a football startup? 
And then if you're Vince McMahon and someone wants to hand you $50 million for that useless trademark, how the hell do you not take it? You can finally make your money back on that thing. I mean, it's just free money. That's essentially someone knocking on your front door and saying, I'd like to hand you $50 million. And you, for some reason, rubbing your chin and going, hmm, let me think about it. That's what happened here. (laughs) And it's not like Vince McMahon's like a passionate fan of, of, of football, and it's like, no, that's, you know, the, the XFL is not near and dear to his heart in any way that I think. Maybe it's just, it might just be a matter of, and we know this, when he fails at stuff, he wants to, yeah. he always wants to go back to it and try to prove that, no, he was right, or no, I had it. But, like, the XFL, I mean, you, you, he he admitted the failure to that a year in and got out of there as quickly as possible when they already had lost a shit ton of money. So, I, of all the things that Vince McMahon's kind of been hard-headed about, the XFL was one of the least ones that, that he was because he got out of there as quickly as he did and, and realized what an abject failure it was. And then that 30 for 30 must have got some nostalgia going back in him or something or, or, or I don't know. He just essentially thought that and, and to his credit that Charlie Ebersol was like, you know, that, that that was the actual value the XFL was worth, which it's not at all. So I don't know what the hell either side was doing in this. It's just absolutely fucking insane. It doesn't make any sense. I think what happened here was uh, he got offered the money for the letters and thought to himself, well, these guys must know something I don't. Right. And there must be an opening for this thing to work now. But again, if I'm Ebersol, I just start something fresh. I don't want anything to do with those letters. And I guess, you know, McMahon, he just, he's impulsive, and, and here we are. But what was born of that was this AAF, which ended up getting a, a year's head start on the XFL, which is already going to put the XFL behind a, a second April. I mean... It's hard enough, we discussed this at the time, to get a second football league to work. They always fail. But now you're the third tier football league. The other one got the jump start. Um, they got the jump start on players. They got the jump start on, on people's, whatever people's appetites are for more football. That league got a jump start on that as well. Um, so it, it's just, it's, it, this, this makes... The AA, what the AAF has done makes it even less likely that the XFL is going to succeed. And the AAF, let me tell you, the first week they came out, they had a game on CBS that did, I think, 1.2 million viewers and beat an NBA game on ABC head-to-head that weekend, which everyone thought was crazy. But as wrestling fans, we know, wait for week two, because the same thing happened with the XFL. Oh, the, the the first week XFL numbers were out of this world. People were were you read the headlines and people were like, "Oh my God, Vince McMahon has solved it again!" And the the wrestling genius has done it again. And then yeah, week two came out and that yeah, didn't uh, now didn't quite work. <laughs> now so week two, the week two numbers come out and it's not on C. Only the debut week was on CBS. I don't think they have another game on CBS until the the the, the postseason or or even maybe the championship game. But uh, week two numbers come out and these were two games on NFL Network. And those games had 16% and 21% growth over the week one games that were on NFL Network. So people are watching this thing, okay? Which, again, if you ask me, does not bode well for the XFL. Because the quality of play in AAF has been a little bit better than people thought. People are into it. They're watching. Now, nobody's going to the games. The stadiums are empty. Yeah, I was and, wondering about that. I saw I saw a clip. I was watching SportsCenter, and they were showing some clips. And I think it was San Diego, and they did a pan. And I was like, "Oh boy, that's like that's like ten thousand people." Which which you know, ten thousand people is not bad. Or I don't even know if it was that many. It might have even been less than that. It was but, way less. You know, in in a gigantic football stadium that seats you know eighty thousand or whatever, it looked. It's impossible to make a unless you sell fifty plus 
percent of a, a football stadium, it always looks like shit. Even if you have eight thousand people, it looks like yeah. Garbage, so. There's nobody there, and and the point I'm getting to is, despite the fact that the TV ratings are pretty good, and there is whatever interest in this thing is a television product, they had to borrow two hundred and fifty million dollars to make payroll for week two, and to keep the league, to sustain the league, you know, moving forward. This this thing may not finish the year. And this is a league people are watching and are interested in. That just shows you the uphill battle that there is to be climbed and and and, and for what is going to prove to be the third tier league um, when the XFL finally rolls around. And, and they're going to struggle with quality of play because all of the fringy NFL guys, all of your guys that would normally be, you know, depth guys on an NFL roster or practice squad guys. Um, they're all playing in the AAF. I have, you know, they're going to have a lot of trouble in the XFL finding a, a decent enough caliber of player to where the games aren't just a farce. Like the original NFL XFL games were quality of play was a big problem. And it, you know, all the gimmicks were a problem too, but the quality of play was a big problem also. And it's going to be a big problem again. Uh, he should have just taken the fifty million dollars. <laughs> I don't know why he did. This, yeah, it, it's he's out of his mind. It's it, this. This is going to go down as as one of the worst business decisions he's ever made. And you know, this might end up going down as worse than the initial XFL decision because this one he could have made fifty million dollars free and clear. Right, right. I mean, we we talked about the calculus, and it was different. It, it was interesting at the time too that he had to make that Alpha Entertainment. That we knew what his investment was going to be. We knew he had to break off and make his own company or whatnot. It has the same address, or I think it's the address is like across the street or whatever. But there was a lot of investment just in getting that up and running. And now we know also that they're, they're negative fifty in the hole. Essentially, you know, I mean, quote unquote. Not you know, it, the ledger won't show that, but knowing that there was a fifty million dollar off out there that he said no to so it's like no matter what you kind of take that out of it as well because he had the check in hand and just said nope don't want it I'm going to do this on my own so it's pretty much like you're starting from negative 50 million and, and, and working way back that way too which is just it, just fascinating and yeah it, it I'm trying to think of a wrestling comp for for our, our, our just wrestling fans that don't know about sports comps but like the idea of, of starting a, a secondary sports league is 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 very difficult to do I mean it is very very rarely and, and really not any time in the last you know 50 years been done with any sort of success. The ABA was probably the last one, the basketball, uh, the American Basketball Association was the last one, and that took a little while too. And they went through the same things too. Within you know, a few weeks, they were already almost out of payroll. They needed all a bunch of new owners and whatnot. And and that one, the only one, they, the only way they were really able to do that was essentially just paying a little bit more for players and allowing people to come out of high school. So they had like they had a, a, a little carrot to dangle to some players to try to get them to come to the ABA versus going to the NBA because there's really no reason to go to the secondary sports league uh, unless you can. And, and pretty much the ABA's entire intention from day one was to get swallowed up by the NBA. That's all they wanted to do is get swallowed up. And the USFL was was kind of similar as well. They were doing their own little thing for a little while, but you know they had a bunch of ownership issues and whatnot. And then they eventually just kind of tried to merge with the NFL and do all that sort of stuff. So it, it, it doesn't really quite work. And it, it, it's very, very difficult. I mean, we saw arena football uh, in this country for for many many years as well, it's still kind of around, but I think it's like you know it's down to one owner that owns every single team or whatnot. It's it, it's pretty well dead, and it's just like the talent gap is impossible to even comprehend. Of like you're thinking of all the best players are, are go to the main league, and then like those secondary players. I mean, there's not a lot of them floating around. I mean, you look you look at you know the benches of NFL teams. You look at the free agent fringes. I mean, those guys are on the fringes. Of of that, they're just you know for whatever reason. I think one of the bigger issues too that a lot of people forget, not just talent wise, but also health wise, is one of the bigger things when you have like a secondary sports league because 
really getting to a professional sports league and becoming a professional athlete is, is as much skill as it is attrition. Being able to not get hurt, not have debilitating injuries. And that was a huge issue with the first XFL is guys were dropping like flies because they just either weren't in enough shape or, you know, guys just get hurt when they play football. And the guys that are the freak shows are the ones that play in the NFL. The guys that can somehow, you know, withstand the rigors of playing, you know, professional football will will make it to the pro leagues or whatever. The pitchers whose arms don't fall off make it to the major leagues. Everybody else's arms fall off and then they don't pitch anymore. So that's that that I remember being a huge issue with the original XFL. And like you're saying, you're not you're not even getting the secondary players. You're not even getting the second best players, you're going to get the third crop of players, which is just like, oh my god! Like, even if those guys are healthy and can play, the level of play is 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 just out of this. You know, it, it, it's hard to comprehend. And I'm trying to figure out a wrestling comp for that. I, and and I, I don't know if I I quite have one uh, to try to explain what it this because it's not necessarily the indies, but I I don't know exactly how to just just look at it this way. Um, you know, if 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 an NFL team carries eight offensive linemen. And there's, uh, you know, 32 NFL teams. That's 200. About that's 256 offensive linemen playing in the NFL. And then there's uh, eight AAF teams carrying eight offensive linemen. That's another 64. Okay, that's 300. The 320 best offensive linemen are already accounted for in the world. So at best, the XFL, if they have eight teams. You're dealing with like, in some cases, the 400th best offensive line. The, the quality of play is going to drop significantly and it's going to be look at the USFL they lasted 3 or 4 years and it was a tumultuous 3 or 4 years and they had legitimate stars because they went out and got Jim Kelly and Herschel Walker and 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 uh, dozens of other players who ended up going on to long in some cases hall of fame NFL careers and they couldn't make it now you're going to now you're going to turn down 50 million dollars and make a go at this as a third tier league with terrible players, and and think that you're going to succeed in this. This is going to fail massively. And it's just stunning that he turned down that $50 million. And I, I, can't, I can't fathom why he made that decision. It was a chance to make his money back. Uh, it was a gift. It was a gift from the heavens that someone offered him $50 million for this useless trademark. Which is about $49 million more than I think the XFL is probably worth, but you know. It's not worth it, anything. I, mean, I was going to say, I mean, a million dollars to throw in the bucket for someone that's real rich, but yeah, I, I don't... What um, money were they making off of those letters? None. Over the last, what <laughs> Zero, is it, 17 yeah. years or whatever? I don't even know Zero, how it's been. yeah. They should have been selling those footballs the entire time. I did like the XFL football, so... I mean, they weren't even try. There's nothing on the net. They didn't put the games on the network. You can't make any argument that this thing was generating any income whatsoever. There's not like some niche underground fad of people wearing XFL jerseys. There's just nothing. It's It was just sitting dead. It was just a dead trademark making no money. And you had a chance to cash a $50 million check and you didn't cash it. And you're going to fail. You're going to maybe last one full season. And it's gonna and and how much money did he dump into it already? On top of the fifty million that he turned down, what was that? Yeah, I forget the investment? exact figure. Let me let me see if I can get that exact figure because it is it's a startling figure as well, and it's a big reason it was why. Was it nine? Wasn't uh, it a nine figure? Was it that high? Was it like a hundred and fifty million or something like that of his own money? So okay, so here you go. So on December twenty first, two thousand seventeen, WWE issued a filing to the Securities and Exchange Commission stating that McMahon had sold one hundred million dollars worth of WWE stock to fund Alpha Entertainment. This guy's insane. <laughs> He's insane. It's not going to work. The AAF is like best case scenario right now, and and 
week two. <laughs> they could barely they make payroll. Out of business. Yeah, yeah, they they could barely make payroll, and they're they're in the midst of a, a litigation about who owns the league. So it's like you know what I mean. It's it's not going well and it's, already. And it's, even and if it's a, even if the play is all right and the games are kind of fun and whatnot, yeah. it, it's well, it's that, still, that's the thing. It's a brand of football that people seem to be enjoying and they're watching, and it still might not make it. If the XFL comes out of the gate and it stinks on top of it, here's the other thing too. AAF games are on the NFL network. You know, don't overlook that key point. You know, it's like they're providing programming to the NFL that's getting a rating. Okay? What else on the NFL network is going to get a rating this time of year? So the NFL might look at this thing and go, now hold on a second. <laughs> this AAF's doing decent numbers. It's given exposure to some players that maybe can get back into the league. Maybe they decide to pump some money into the AAF at some point just to keep it alive. For become some their minor league. Could become like a minor league exactly, or whatnot too. Yeah. To, to transition into their minor league. Good programming on their network that's doing a number. And then you're truly fucked if you're the XFL. If the NFL gets behind the AAF. Which is probably why Vince McMahon has been very careful. Remember last time he was all, you know, Mr. Anti-NFL, we're going to bring manliness back to football and this and that the first time. He's been very careful. Which is great for a man who has not watched a football game in, in the last 45 no, years. No, I think yes. he legitimately, like, brought up people like Ray Nitschke the first time around, who hadn't played <laughs> in 40 years as, as citing the players that he enjoyed. Dick Bu- he did bring Dick Buckus up, I remember that. He employed exactly, Dick Buckus. Is, yes, he right, in the <laughs> but, um, but that's the other thing, too. If the NFL decides that this AAF provide some value to them and they want to pump some money into it, they can keep it alive. And I think McMahon has been very smart not to talk shit on the NFL this time around because I think he knows that and understands that because the AAF is in business with the NFL already and with CBS, they've got some powerful partners. So I don't know where XFL even fits in from that perspective. It's hard enough, but then you're getting in second, it becomes nearly impossible. And I know they're going to try to build their league around big name coach. They're going to pay the coaches. I know they hired Jim Zorn for Seattle, and you know they're hiring guys who are Bob Stoops, yeah. yeah, local icons in each market. And that's the same thing AAF is doing. I mean, that's no different. They hired. Yeah, Mike. I actually didn't remember all the uh, the coaches in the AAF. There's some pretty cool coaches in there. You got uh, you know, a little Singletary, a little Spurrier, yes, little Rick Neuheisel putting some money on the games yeah. too. That's always good. Like Martz, Dennis you know, Erickson, yeah, like the corpse of De- Dennis Erickson was he like ninety? Yeah, I mean, guys, you've heard of it. It's these leagues. They know they're not going to have star players, so you build around the coaches. It makes sense, you know. It's uh, so you build around the coaches and 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 they're gonna try to pay quarterbacks, and uh, you know I'm I, look has Vince McMahon has the XFL reached out to Colin Kaepernick probably, but Colin Kaepernick asked the AAF for twenty million dollars. I mean it's not gonna happen, you know. So I you know is the XFL gonna pay Colin Kaepernick twenty million dollars? I don't know. Are they gonna pay Johnny Manziel? I mean probably. You know, well, Vince is going to have to swallow some of his words because he said that they weren't going to have anybody uh, that had been accused of domestic violence Good point. Uh, in their league. So, yeah. unfortunately, he's going to have to, yeah. if he wants Manziel, he's going to have to go, ah, you know what, uh, most guys. Not just <laughs> domestic violence. He said anyone with a DUI. Yeah, right. And Johnny's got a little bit Johnny of... Johnny checks a few of those boxes, you know? <laughs> he's got a little bit of he's, a little bit of bees. He's so. slapped a few girls around, and he's been drunk driving. So he's got a few of those. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Then, you know, you, you, who knows? But forget it. This is so dumb, and it just... It's not going to work. Mind-blowingly stupid. The only reason we're bringing this back up is because this man turned down $50 million <laughs> in exchange for losing. He's going to lose another $200 million. I mean, there's no question about it. 
Yeah, so that was that. I just wanted to touch on that a little bit, you know, a little AF talk in here, and 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 yeah, the XFL. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and and we'll, you know, obviously we're a wrestling show first and foremost, but it's always kind of fun to to check in on the uh, the the XFL. And hey, we've seen back when the first XFL, you know, happened, it it, it affected the wrestling business for a little bit as well. So it, uh, I imagine it will, you know, in 2020 as well, depending on you know whatever happens with Vince and and what he br- to, you know puts his attention to. Is he able to be there day in and day out in WWE if he's worrying about XFL? Is he not going to worry about XFL at all? Like we know he's a workaholic, so. I I'm sure he's going to be involved in both. So, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, many more things to get to uh, today. Uh, this is an ad-free show, we should mention, which is good. So you don't have to hear we're, uh, you know, worry about any more ads the rest of the show. We will let you know uh, if you want to uh, subscribe to us on Patreon. We do have a very good uh, Patreon uh, there with uh, $1, $3, and $5 tiers of some extra audio content for you guys. Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling to subscribe to that. You get Joe's weekly TV reviews. You get my death's door, my look at the dying days of WCW. Some other good stuff that we do every so often as well. I do game stream. You do news updates. We we do plenty of other good stuff. Maybe AF Intelligentsia, probably not legal, probably die before you can launch that. But uh, yeah, good stuff there on patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. Make sure to subscribe. As I said, we have a $1 tier. If you just want to try it out, we have a $2 bonus flagship tier, which gets you the uh, overrun. And then the $5 bonus Joe and Rich, which gets you all the other stuff that we do on the uh, Patreon side, so patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. Also, uh, Amazon. Any purchase you make on Amazon, do it through voicesofwrestling.com slash Amazon. It will help us out greatly. Uh, any little bit, uh, you know, nothing changes in your, your your shopping experience, which I think is the best part about it. All you have to do, uh, you do voicewrestling.com slash Amazon, and then just go buy the stuff like you normally would anyway, and we get a small percentage back for us. So it definitely helps us out, voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. All right, Joe, let's get to this. WWE, we're, we're, we're talking about Vince McMahon. We're talking about WWE, so let's kind of stick with that. Uh, Bruce Pritchard returns to WWE, the patron saint of of creative, is, is back. So here's here's the news release, as we know. Uh, PW Insider was the first with this, uh, that I believe this is late last week, that Pritchard has been hired to return to the company full-time in a top position on the creative team. We don't know the exact title, but a top position on the creative team. Uh, the report stated that Pritchard will start with WWE at this coming Monday's, which is obviously this this Monday's uh, episode of Raw. Uh, PW Insider noted that Pritchard's position has been described to them as being, quote, as important as possible on the creative team, and that they've told Pritchard's role will be very similar to his former position in that well, he will be working directly with Vince McMahon on all things creative. Joe, what are your thoughts on Bruce Pritchard returning to WWE? Um, I think this is such an overrated story. I, I, Bruce Pritchard has, has spent his, his whole, you know, and he, he was a yes man. I, I have no reason to think that he won't be a yes man again. Um, and, and on his podcast, his little podcast there with, with Conrad Thompson, I, I never heard Bruce Pritchard say a thing that gave me any sort of reason or evidence to think that he's going to be some game changing forward thinking voice that's going to get into the room and um, reverse the fortunes of what's going on and what the issues are in this company. Quite frankly, I'm not sure that anybody is. It just, as we all know, it all comes down to the guy we just talked about and his vision and um, Bruce Pritchard, who's an infamous yes man. I I don't see um, now look, maybe, maybe some, uh, something I know people have brought up that he's big on vignettes to introduce wrestlers and, that's clearly been a weakness in the company as of late. I would never argue that. They do a terrible job uh, introducing new wrestlers and new talent, and maybe he can help in that regard. Maybe he can help with some with some little things. But uh, but this idea that Bruce Pritchard's going to jump in and be a savior, I don't think uh, much changes at all. Now, the, 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 the bigger story to me here is not that Bruce Pritchard's going to jump in uh, to that creative room 
and uh, and 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 bring back some renaissance of uh, of brilliant creative. I think the bigger story here is Bruce Pritchard parlayed a highly successful podcast where he bashed on Dave Meltzer incessantly each and every week and basically kissed the ass of Vince McMahon. And he parlayed that back into his old gig. That's the story here to me. Not that he's back in that room uh, and, and what, what that he's back in that room, not what kind of influence or, or, or changes he's going to make now that he's in it. Um, you know, brilliantly done by him. And, um, you know, it just goes to show you, he's a guy who's very smart and knows the political strings to pull. And he wasn't going to do that podcast and bash Vince McMahon or, 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 or you know, he, he was going to play his cards right because uh, most people in wrestling are always angling for a job most of the time. And, um, you know, unless you're Tom Zenk in, in you know, uh, the Iyata days coming on with Dave and Brian and just letting it all hang out, most people are angling for a job. And he parlayed that podcast uh, back into a job. I mean, he parlayed it into a job with Impact for a little while. I was about to say, yeah, not the first yeah. time he's done that in the life of that podcast either. He was he was with Impact too, and and, and really third time he was he was doing stuff with MLW, yeah, uh, in between that as well. So he was doing some some backstage stuff uh, with them. So really, essentially, got three jobs. You know, out of it, I'm so. glad you brought that up because I think MLW is a better television product now than when Pritchard was there. I, I you know I think it's 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 more cohesive. I think, um, I think the the, the the at least the the booking on television from week to week is better than when the show started, and that might not be okay. Bruce was ruining everything, and now it's better since he's gone. It could just be okay. They were new to TV and they were feeling their way around, and and now they've kind of found the groove. It may not have anything to do one with the other, but I don't think there's any question that MLW is a better paced uh, show for sure now than when it started. And makes more sense. I mean, in the early days of MLW TV, a lot of stuff would happen one week and then get dropped the next and they'd never go back to it or a guy would leave the company and they wouldn't finish a story. Or Now it seems to be a little more cohesive week to week. I'm just I'm just going to throw it out there. I have no idea and I'm not going to sit here and pin blame or say that it got better because he's gone. But again, I, I don't know. I just think this is a guy whose influence might be a little overrated and especially in a company where you know, we know that one voice dominates the room, and it's going to be that man's vision regardless. Um, and, and, and you know, I, I see no reason to think if he was a yes man before, why wouldn't he be a yes man now? So I don't know. I'm not I, – I don't think this is – I think this is a massively overblown story. I, I honestly don't think it matters who is in that room, to be completely honest with you. I'm kind of the same way. Uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of the reactions. That people are like, oh, my God, Bruce Pritchard's back. Or, you know, now every segment is like, ah, Bruce Pritchard must have wrote that fragment. That that was good. It must have been Bruce Pritchard. And it's just like, what are we doing? Hey, you know, like, can, every- I br- can I throw something else Batista in? Batista comes out, oh, it's Bruce Pritchard. It must have been Bruce Pritchard. Well, told him that- let no, me speak I mean, to that for a second, and then I'll let Christ, you go. Yeah. You know, Meltzer reported he's been there since January. It's just nobody yeah. knew. So you're, you're dead on. Now all of a sudden, you know, there's a Raw where – they they finally have pressed the panic button on ratings and they get the Roman Reigns thing. They do the Ric Flair birthday. They bring back Batista. They're doing all of these things. And, and all of a sudden we're crediting Bruce Pritchard for this when he's been there since January. So all of those Raws you hated in January, he was in the room. Okay, so I don't want to hear because you maybe you liked Raw this, but you're right. Now, every time there's a decent segment, 
we're going to have to hear this nonsense that Bruce Pritchard's responsible for it. When in reality, we're probably never going to know who's responsible for any of these segments, good or bad. But go ahead. Yeah, so, so my thing on Bruce is, is essentially, you know, from listening to the podcast, and I've listened to most of the episodes of, of, of his and Conrad's podcast, because, and I've always mentioned this to you, too, they're not, like, they're not things that I, like, go out of my way and go, oh, my God, I can't wait, the new episode just dropped or whatever. I consider them, they're the best for, like, cleaning. Like, on a Saturday, I'm just, like, cleaning, or I'm doing yard work, or I'm doing laundry. They're good for that, and kind of in the background, kind of mindless. It's a few hours, and you're out, and you're in, and you're, okay, yeah, some some fun little stories and anecdotes, you know, Conrad talking about what stuff in The Observer and and, and whatnot, but, like, the the thing that I've always gathered from that podcast, which is interesting that that, that people think and, and 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 you kind of hit the nail on the head there too. If you really listen, Bruce never really says that he challenged Vince all that much, that he said anything a bit. Like anytime Vince is brought up, he just kind of does an impression of Vince McMahon and then moves on. Or he says, Oh, well, you don't know that, you know, Vince changes his mind. Like just the basic stuff that we all know, but it wasn't essentially, you know, me and Vince got in this, you know, shouting match and I told him, no, this is not the way to do it. No, we're not going to do it this way. We're going to do it, you know, this way or whatnot. You never hear any of that. Like, that's, I, again, I don't know if that's just him covering it up and him sort of, you know, but, but I've always been led to believe that Bruce was there as a, as a good second hand that would sort of bounce ideas off Vince. And if Vince liked the ideas he'd take, and if he didn't like him, he wouldn't take him. And that, that's kind of everyone's role in that company. I think the only guy that, you know, from any of the stories that I've heard, obviously Vince Russo was a guy who finally like jumped into Vince's head and was able to get him to to change some stuff for better for worse, you know, in many cases worse, but obviously the the success that 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 he had as as the head of creative was a big deal. But and also a guy like a Pat Patterson always strikes me as a guy who who Vince really believed that if Pat said this is what we're going to do, that Vince would say yes. You you you're probably right. That's probably the best way to do it. But never in anything that I've ever heard about Bruce has it been like, oh my god, he challenged Vince and then Vince completely changed his mind and and did something else. My my thing with Bruce is that him coming back can it help maybe can it hurt probably not like it's fine like it, it's probably a neutral it's probably another guy to bounce ideas off Vince maybe one or two things get done a little bit different maybe some things but like do I think all of a sudden now the TV is going to be monumentally different it's all going to start making sense and, and it's all that like no because like this week has all been about like we'll talk about it when we get to the Kofi segment like they're doing the opposite. They're leaning into the chaos of this company and saying, you know what? Fuck it. Vince McMahon's going to change his mind all the time. Let's just make that a storyline now. Vince McMahon just changed his mind all the time. That's our story now is that he's just a, a, a maniac who just has no idea what he wants to do week to week. They've essentially just leaned into that. So th- that's my thing with Bruce is like, yeah, maybe it'll help slightly. Maybe. Maybe it hurts. I, I doubt it hurts. Like, I, it's probably just neutral. It's probably just fine. Like, it's another guy to sit in that room and bounce ideas off Vince. But at the end of the day, it is what Vince McMahon wants to do. And it's been that way for years and years and years and years. And do I think that maybe, you know, Bruce is going to make things better? Maybe, but I don't think so because, like, I, I don't know that Bruce knows really how to book wrestling in 2019 either. This is the problem is that, like, and I've mentioned this, I've screamed to the heavens about this over and over and over and over again, is that it's the same fucking 10 people that have been writing wrestling for the last decades you know for the last four decades it's the same people over and over it's your Jim Cornettes your Vince Russo's your Vince McMahon's your Bruce Pritchard's your Eric Bischoff's like the same guys over Gabe and Sapolsky. over and over it's Gabe Sapolsky like yeah even he's long in the tooth now and Gabe's one of my favorite bookers ever but he's years. been doing it yeah he's been doing it for 20 years now you know Court Bauer's a guy who you know with MLW um but if you talk about like the, the when when you get back to you know the beginnings of of MLW, I mean that's the early two thousands as well. And then he went to WWE, obviously, and did stuff with them. So he was he's been around and kind of writing wrestling for years and years and years. Even a even a Dave Lagana type, and we would like a lot of the stuff that he's doing with NWA. But he's been around there for for quite a while. But I think he has some new ideas and he's able to kind of break out of that that, that shell a little bit. But for the most part, it's like the same dudes writing it. And do I think that Bruce Pritchard has learned how to book two thousand nineteen wrestling and is going to give Vince McMahon these insights that oh you know Vince you, you think this is how it's 
done. But I'm telling you, this is what really audiences like these days. Bruce doesn't know shit. He doesn't watch anything else. He's not scouring the world for the top talent and the top wrestling. And he's watching everything. He doesn't know anything more than he knew when he was with you. So it's just like, you know, that's where I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. Is he really going to add a new voice or is he going to add a similar voice? And and in a lot of ways, just be like, yeah, Vince, that's a great idea. Or, hey, you know, we should do it this way. And, yeah, maybe those little changes he does will, 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 will amount to something. But I don't know. I mean... I'm led to believe probably not. Like, nothing that I've ever heard about Bruce, nothing I've heard him say, and nothing I've ever heard reported indicates to me that he's this, like, transformational figure that's going to change the game for, for, for WWE. I, I just, I, I don't think so. Two, two, two questions. Do you think, let's try to be more positive about it. Do you think, with Bruce in the room, he's someone that Vince will listen to a little more rather than geek we hired from a soap opera four weeks ago. In other right, words, right, right. will he command Vince's attention more than the people that are in the room already? What do you think of that? Because there's yeah, history I, I there. And, and that's and where I said, them. like, yeah. And that's why I kind of said, like, the can't hurt might help thing with Bruce is that's what I think it is, is that, like, if Bruce says, hey, I, I don't really think that's a good idea, he will take that under advisement. Whereas, as you said, Hollywood geek, 31-year-old Hollywood geek, is not going to tell Vince McMahon, hey, Vince, I think that's a terrible idea. Or, hey, Vince, we shouldn't do that because that guy's going to get fired or, or, or laughed out of the room and he'll, he'll be out of there. Whereas Bruce has that ability because he's been there forever to say, ah, Vince, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know that Bruce is going to take a bunch of brand new ideas and say, here's what we need to do and here's my new concepts and, and here's everything that we're going to do to transform this TV show. But he may be able to sound of, kind of filter some of the stuff that Vince wants to do and say, ah, Vince, I, you know, here's maybe a better way to do it. And that's where he could be a positive. And that's where I, I, I do think he's a positive. But the idea that, like, he's going to come in and transform creative. Is 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 mind-boggling to me. So, so there's we, no way. So we think Vince will listen to him a little more. Is my point. I, I, I think so because yeah, I would yeah. agree with that too. But here's the second thing, and I really haven't heard anybody bring this up, so I'm going to bring it up now. And I hate to go all Cody ear on you, but does he get this job if AEW doesn't exist? You know, Conrad Thompson is front and center at these pressers, and. You know, they, they're hiring anyone with a pulse to be an agent, to, uh, you know, all of a sudden out of the blue. And we all know that a lot of those guys probably wouldn't have been hired. It, you know, are, are they hoarding wrestling minds to, to keep them away from AEW? And is Bruce Pritchard part of that? Because, Rich, I don't think he has this job if AEW doesn't exist. I don't. I'm cynical about it. I think this is more keep away. And I'm not even saying that AEW was interested in Bruce Pritchard. But fuck it. Vince McMahon is going to cut that head off the fucking snake before it even has a chance. What do you think of that? I think there's something... Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I think also... and I don't know if you... Uh, I, I do wonder a little bit of the, the, the Undertaker aspect that of too. this as well. Which is, which is a very underrated thing. Where Undertaker now, you know, a few weeks ago pops up on Twitter and saying, I'm taking bookings. And we've had some people, you know, ask around an email and get, 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 get some of those figures of just saying that he'll, he'll do bookings. He'll do appearances. He'll do that, all this sort of that stuff. And we come to find that, that, that Conrad secured him for the Starcast. The AEW's upcoming, you know, you know, AEW's double or nothing that weekend. They're going to have the Starcast uh, again. And, 
and that Undertaker is going to be at that Starcast. And then we hear also that that you know Starcast has tried to register a trademark for an Undertaker podcast, which I think is the most ridiculous thing in the fucking world. Is is the Undertaker doing a podcast? Would just be a guy who pr- protected his character and never went out of character for like thirty years, just sitting down and like shooting the shit about you know just random shit. Well, it would just be fascinating to me. But like, I, I do wonder what factor that plays into it. You, you know, which I think is one and the same. I guess you yes. can kind of say if AEW doesn't exist, the next Starcast doesn't exist. Undertaker doesn't have the leverage to kind of break out of his whatever it is and say, you know what, fuck it, yeah, I'll take some outside bookings, knowing that that outside booking, one of the big ones that's going to come is that StarCast thing, getting the big dollar figure for StarCast, possibly doing podcasts, like finding his ways outside of it. I think there are growing effects. So, yeah, you can sort of say without AEW, maybe not, and I don't know exactly, we don't know why Bruce Pritchard got hurt. We don't know if Vince McMahon finally just said, ah, you know what, let's bring, but you're, you're probably, I mean, yeah, Bruce Pritchard's been a free agent for the last 10 years or whatever, and has not gotten a call, but now all of a sudden he does, and it's hard not to think that there is some connection, with whether it be AEW or, you know, by proxy, you know, StarCast and, and, and Conrad, like, that has to be a thing. You'd be silly to think that that doesn't relate in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... To me, I'm stunned that no one else has brought it up. I mean, it, it's right there in front of us. So, um, you know, that's just a competitive thing. And 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 I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if that had a ton to do with it. Now, there's no question. Now, he was hired to be head of creative, correct? Uh, the, the, we don't sure. know exactly. Top position on the creative team is all we've heard. So, okay, so which leads me to believe head of creative, but I don't know if maybe they give that title out anymore. It might just be you know top, yeah, top creative team guy is all we can really find. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that they needed a shakeup of some kind. I mean, I think we'd all agree with that. Um, so again, I'm I'm kind of where you are. I don't think it can hurt. I'm just highly skeptical of how much it could help. You know, I I, I do think now. We both agreed that Vince might listen to him, trust him a little more than than somebody else, than, than say, the geek that they hired from, you know, uh, Grantland uh, or something like that. Um, but with that said, if he had all of this massive, incredible respect for the wrestling mind of Bruce Prichard, why hasn't he worked there in so long? Could have had him any time. I mean, what changed? Did Did Vince just... Love this podcast so much that uh, that that he all of a sudden decided that Bruce Pritchard is a is a uh, is a wrestling savant. Or what's the most obvious thing that changed? There's some competition out there now, and you're gonna want to hoard people, and and that's what they're doing. Both, you know, um, from from a, from a in front of and behind the curtain perspective. So I don't know. I think it's obvious that 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 this had a lot to do with this hiring especially because Conrad is so front and center with all the AEW stuff and running conventions in conjunction with their shows and emceeing their uh their rallies and their press conferences and you know it, it it's it's it, this screams to me and like you said maybe the undertaker thing really lit a fire under it although you know like we said before it has now come out that he's been in that room since January so you know, it it it's it it's just either he wasn't officially hired or I don't know what the details are. But um but yeah, that anyway, that's how I see it, and I, I don't think and yeah, you're right. The most annoying aspect is every time there's a good segment on the show now, people are gonna be screaming that. And you, and it really I mean, come on. It's 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 you have no idea really, you know, what he's gonna be influencing or not influencing, but 
I guess any kind of change was needed because it, things are were not going well there, and 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 they've improved a little bit. Uh, the Kofi thing uh, seems to have uh, some legs. We talked about a little bit last week, and they've done some things this week. You want to transition to that? Are we done with Bruce here? Yeah, let's um, go to that. Let's go to the Kofi stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about Kofi last week, and we were a little cynical, and uh, we tend to skew cynical when it comes to a lot of things in that company, and for good reason. And we talked about how, look, it was a bad sign that he was getting the immediate singles match with Brian at Fastlane because it's a match that you have to lose if you're Kofi Kingston. They're not going to send him into WrestleMania as the champion. Well, that changed a little bit. So I think it deserves a little bit of conversation this week and follow-up because they removed him from that match and he was replaced with Kevin Owens. And Rich, so I'm going to pose the question to you first. Do you think that points to the idea that maybe they said, now hold on a minute, we might have something with Kofi Kingston. We may have unwittingly stumbled upon something that could be hot. Let's not burn this off right away and beat him again. And do you think that this means that they're saving the match for WrestleMania? What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard not to think that that's what is going on here because, you, you know, the idea of, of of taking him out and inserting Kevin Owens, which which I mentioned, that, you know, when we were talking about the Bruce thing, is is they're really kind of leaning into the Vince McMahon as a maniac and he just changes his mind all the time. So now he just comes out on Raw and SmackDown and just changes his mind all the time and changes matches and, and does whatever he wants. And I'm sure it's going to build a, a Vince McMahon versus Triple H and Stephanie story or whatever, which is what we all really wanted is just more McMahons uh, on our TV is what's really going to Fingers work. crossed, my friend. I yeah, can't, can't wait. wait. Cannot wait for McMahon and Mania to, to pop up yet. Yet again, but uh, no, but like the, the larger point though is, yeah, by, by replacing him at Fastlane, you assume, and then the way that everyone's been tweeting about it too. I, I don't know if you've noticed that as well, but like you can sometimes tell when things are kind of things don't go the way people want, and there's sort of a reaction that they have. Well, this one is like everybody was on deck of like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe they're doing this to you, Kofi. Like, even your lowly NXT people are like, you know, your, your Casey Catanzaro is like, oh, Kofi, I'm so sorry. They'll know. This is no good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, those people are not going to tweet if they actually truly believe that something. So so I'm led to believe that all of that was kind of building up to, to whatever's going to happen where Owens loses to Brian and then Kofi. I don't know how they're going to get to it, but but I'm, I'm led to believe that, yeah, the, the reason they're doing all this is because someone got in the room and said, hey, look, you know, it was probably Bruce Pritchard, <laughs> Joe. Do you think about that? It was probably Bruce because it was a change. Rich, it's a good move. Any, so it's probably Bruce. <laughs> any good idea moving forward is obviously Bruce Pritchard. So, so thankfully, because Bruce Pritchard got in the room, he said, hey, this Kofi guy, we're, we got something here. Why don't we wait till Mania? And why don't we save this until Mania and make it a pretty big moment? And and yeah, I, I think there's no other conclusion to come to that that that's I would be stunned. I'd be shocked if like Kofi just never got the title. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just never gets the shot. They just immediately are like, Yeah, Kofi, you're not in the match anymore, and then he just never does. Like that would be I, that'd be bold even for them. So I I'm led to believe that yeah, this is leading to to Kofi being at WrestleMania, which I think, you know, you and I both we were kind of I I, I don't know, we were we were not down on the Kofi push, but basically just being realistic about Skeptical. it. Being like, yeah, like I, I, and like, yeah, just saying like, hey, look, like, you know, we, this is just going to be a short term thing. But maybe people realized in, in the company saying, hey, look, we can maybe get something more out of this. I still don't think it's a long term thing. I still don't think in a year's time we come back and say, hey, Joe, remember, it all started right here with Kofi Kingston. And now he's the biggest star in that company. Like, I don't believe that. I, I think this is just a fling for whatever few months it's going to be. But the idea of stretching out to WrestleMania, I think, is a positive move. So I'm I'm okay with it, and I think that is absolutely the direction they're going. So it it looks like it. I mean, they could come out next week and turn it into a three way at Fastlane. You know, it, right. it's it's. I mean, um, 
But to me, now, now there was a good point made by a listener of the show, someone who posts on our message board. Um, we see him on Twitter sometimes. On the message board, he goes by the name O.M. Glancy. And I know he listens every week. And he made a good point that we did not bring up last week, and I think it deserves to be brought up this week because, quite honestly, we whiffed on it. We were talking about how it was just hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that they were going to devote a Daniel Bryan world title match at WrestleMania to Kofi Kingston. It just didn't seem like a spot uh, that Kofi Kingston was worthy of holding on the biggest show of the year based on what would amount to what, like an eight-week push or something like that, just out of nowhere. But he brought up a great point on the board. And that was, look, this Daniel Bryan match at WrestleMania is going to be no better than fourth from the top, at best. You know, you've got the Rousey match. You've got, you know, whatever the Universal title match ends up being. You've got uh, whatever they decide to do if Hunter, you know, looks like they're doing uh, Triple H versus Batista, right? So it would definitely be below that. If they do something with Cena, if they do something with Shane McMahon, Rich, we didn't really think about that. I mean, this SmackDown title match, and he's dead right. He's, he's dead on. He's 100% right. Is no better than the fourth biggest match on this show. When you view it from that lens, they could put Kofi Kingston in that spot. He, that's a mid-card match. That's an upper mid-card match. So does that change your mind at all now? They, they've got Kevin Owens in the match at Fastlane. We blew it last week. We overrated the significance of the SmackDown title match basically because we overrated Daniel Bryan. But when you look at the pecking order of things, it, it, it's really not going to, it's not going to be a main event match. So does that change your mind at all? Uh, a little bit. And, and I, I don't know that we completely underrated it. I think we still have this sort of prestige factor. I think maybe that, that, that you and I look at and say, Oh, it's the title match at WrestleMania. And, that, and that's, right. I guess to your point, a little bit of like, we should think that's WrestleMania is not about the world title matches anymore. Right. That, that is the, so far the secondary thing basically was Ronda Rousey came into the company and kind of changed the game in terms of star power. So now that is the, your, your, your really, what should be your main event. And I think should be, will be the main event is anything involving Ronda Rousey. Becky Lynch obviously comes in and kind of changes the calculus a little bit there too. Ronda Rousey also... and listen, Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar are the two most important things on this. Show, right, period. exactly. That's no and matter then, of titles. Yeah. yeah, and then it's Mania season, so Triple H gets dug up. Yes. <laughs> you know, the grave of Triple H gets dug up and and he does his little thing. And, and we've seen it even prior years before where <clears throat> And when Shane McMahon is involved, they put him on a different pedestal than they put a lot of other guys as well. So just adding in Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, and Triple H, which we know are guarantees to be bigger deals than than whoever the champions are. And if those Cena right shows there, up. yeah, right. And then yeah, and then we didn't even mention John Cena or you know this year not not the Undertaker, but if the Undertaker did, I mean maybe who knows what the hell right. is going to happen in that relationship. But he comes in, so there's still so yeah, I guess that's our problem is we're thinking of what WrestleMania used to be or, or or what it what it what it would be in our dream but it's not that anymore. It's 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 not about the world title. So yeah, there's who cares? Yeah, it, it might as well be a random one off B show pay per view for the champions because it, it is just that. And SmackDown titles especially in this company, anytime they've done a roster split are usually earlier on in the show or they're the first I mean I remember there was Del Rio opener. and Edge was like the opener yeah. one year, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So like Edge's they, final they match, obviously don't it? care that much. Yeah, oh right, yeah, that was that one. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That was the opener. And then I there was the Brian uh Sheamus one, I think. That was a SmackDown match as well, I think. Yeah. That, I don't the, know if that was ten second first, match. but it was Yeah, exactly. But it was pretty early on in the show. I don't remember if yes. it was the it might have been the opener, I don't remember. But so they've obviously kind of treated that title specifically as sort of that you know anything of that brand's top title, so yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. So that's a really good point by him that we probably 
didn't think of is that why do we care so much about the SmackDown title match at WrestleMania? Because they don't give a shit about that match either. So Right. So if you remove the idea that that match is going to be super high on the card and treated like some kind of co-main event, which it isn't going to be, I think it makes it a lot easier to just ride the hot hand with that match and put Kofi Kingston in it. And then at that point, I mean, I guess he can win. Because why not? I mean, what's the difference? I mean, once he's in the match, there's no reason he can't win the match. Right? Or am I crazy? No, I mean, it's, it's a title. It's, yeah, it's his company and titles. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he could win it. Anybody could win it. Big E could yeah. win it next week. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there's I no... mean, they've, they've protected the titles better to a degree. For okay? sure. Brock brought stability to Universal title. There's no question about that. And the SmackDown title, it, it, it's not like it changes every week on TV. Okay. Right, but it's like it's not going to affect their business. It's right. not like they're going to go Correct. in there and someone in the room is going to say we need Kofi Kingston to win the title, and they're going to fight. I mean, the, Vince Russo got fired for for saying that Tank Abbott should be the champion because they're like, no, that's going to be an abject failure. We're not going to do that. We're going to lose this shit ton of money. Their businesses, will, their business will not change one iota if Kofi Kingston walks out as the champion at WrestleMania. None. Doesn't make a difference at all. And he can lose it the next week on SmackDown if they really don't like the idea. You know, if they just want to have the WrestleMania moment and you know, have the photo op with him up, you know, holding the title up above his head, 12 years in the company, whatever the story they're telling here. And they just want to complete that story and do it at WrestleMania, but then not have him be the long-term plan. You know, they could be in that room saying, okay, well, we stumbled onto this thing. It's hot. We already have plans for SummerSlam or beyond or whatever. And I know it's giving them a lot of fucking benefit of the doubt to think they have anything planned out that far. But, you know, maybe we can ju- we should just see this thing through and tell this story and wrap it up at WrestleMania. And then at whatever dopey pay-per-view comes the next month, I don't even know what it is, you know, we could have Brian win it back and then proceed on with what we're going to do. Or, you know, see if Kofi stays hot. Um, I just continue to have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that Kofi Kingston all of a sudden is hot enough to be a, a, a major player in the company. I still am having trouble with that. Um, I, I've kind of been sold on the idea now that you can give him the WrestleMania match. I do believe you can do that for the reasons we just talked about. And I think that they may end up doing that too, which is why he was pulled from Fastlane. Rich, let me ask you this. Would it stun you if the scenario you laid out before where he just never gets back in the title picture at all oh. plays out? I mean, would it stun you? It wouldn't stun me, it but wouldn't God, stun you. yeah, that would just be... <laughs> it wouldn't matter, though, because the same people would just defend what I... You know what I mean? Like, I don't think... There would be the, the, the initial kind of backlash in the, you know, you know the, the week or two or whatever, but then I think everybody would just kind of forget about it anyway and then still do their, their normal... Go about their normal business, but man, that, what a what a kick in the oh jeez, that'd just be a kick in the stones, wouldn't it? For just yeah. like no reason, they got it. They have to, right? It wouldn't stun me. It wouldn't. <laughs> no, it really. I wouldn't. mean, I I I, I kind of think he sh- he has to win it now. Now that I've seen this Kevin Owens thing play out, I think that I think that what they've done here by taking him out of the match at Fastlane is that is them committing to him winning at WrestleMania. I think it is. I think because this is their way of putting more heat on the story. Making him even more sympathetic. 
Right. You can't make him this much of an underdog and then have him lose. Right. Because that's bad. And they've done that before. (laughs) Sometimes with, you know, with with similar, uh, you know, Booker T is one of the famous examples that, uh, you know, people like you don't win world titles and then they don't win world titles. (laughs) And then Triple H just beats him in the middle of the ring of the pedigree. You're like, oh, all right, cool. All right, I guess. People don't like him, don't win titles. So, yeah, like, they, they've done that. But I think they're, they they understand that making him this much of an underdog and this much of a sympathetic figure, that just going out there and beating him, then he's an all-time geek. And then he's never, you, you're done with him. Maybe based on how hot it's been and how much it's caught on, they flip-flopped the challengers. Maybe it was supposed to be Owens at Mania, and they've just switched gears and said, hey, let's just do this Kofi thing. It's hot. Let, let, let's go full steam ahead with it. Mm-hmm. Um. Because remember, you know, going back to last week, he wasn't even supposed to be in the chamber to begin with. It was Mustafa Ali. So that even lends more credence to my theory that Ali would have been in the same spot Kofi was in at the end of the match with Brian and would have gotten the one-off shot at Fastlane. And then probably Owens would have gotten the shot at Mania. Yeah, but maybe the Kofi momentum decided that, okay, they cool, said, okay, let's swap that. it. Yeah, yeah because right. this guy's so hot, and we we might have something here. Um, You know, and, and, and they may have just fucking backed into this Kofi thing. Yeah, because this was not the plan for Kevin Owens either. I mean, if you watch those vignettes about uh, and and they've been very yeah. odd vignettes, it's like Kevin Owens is a family guy. Kevin Owens bowls. Kevin Owens eats food, and then he just comes out and he's just like his badass or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it just made no sense whatsoever. So it's obvious that that something changed uh, in the calculus. This was not the plan. The intention was not this. Something changed within the last few days to, to completely flip flop it. So yeah, it seems that way anyway. Um, but 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 yeah, I I thought. For sure, we owed this a follow-up with the stuff that 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 happened this week, and and and, and it appears to me that now to me, if if it stick if it stays this way, if Fastlane is Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens, and isn't a three-way or anything like that, then I think it has to be Kofi at WrestleMania, and if it is, I think he should win. I I, I don't see the point in doing all this, and then he loses the match. I mean, Brian is a heel, number one. Um, you know, if, if Kofi was just going to lose, then why not just do it at Fastlane? You know, why stretch it out to WrestleMania and have him lose on the bigger stage? That doesn't make sense. Um, so I, I do think if it plays out this way and he and he does get the match, at that point he might as well win, which is crazy to think about. Where, you know, just, you, you can't, it's like we talked about a few weeks ago. Who would have thought that Kenta leaving the company would come at the hands of an attack by Arya Davari? And and who would have thought that Kofi Kingston possibly winning the world title would come because Mustafa Ali suffered an injury? It's just you it's just wrestling is really fucking weird and you really can't predict anything that's going to happen. I mean, there could be, you know, Angelo Dawkins could have some kind of, you know, uh, crazy effect on on some major main event next year, and you say that now and it sounds insane. But I mean, just wrestling's really fucking weird right now. So yeah, it, it is, and 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 the leaning into as I mentioned too, the leaning into Vince McMahon being this erratic, you know, plans change guy. 
Dow being the storyline where he just comes out and goes, nah, 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 this is now the new story. There it is. <laughs> like, that's, I, I guess, I mean, hey, lean into it. If it's what's going to happen in real life that you have no fucking clue what's going to happen every single week, then go for it. I don't know fans are into it, which is, is unique because I would oh, not it's be into fa- it. It's- now, let me tell you, th- this is all very effective in rallying people behind Kofi Kingston. All of this has been very effective. They've, we bash this company incessantly for the dumb shit that they do, the shit that doesn't work, that doesn't connect, how stubborn they are sometimes. This Kofi Kingston thing has worked from the gauntlet match on SmackDown until today. Every step of the way, they've done everything to perfection. I mean, taking the match away from him is doing nothing but putting heat on the story and and making the fans want it more. It was the right move. And you're right. All of the people in the company tweeting about it and talking about it, that's it's just such a tip off to me that this is a, a that this is gonna, you know, not gonna be the end for him and, and they're they're he's probably going to have the co- the mania match and if you asked me today I'd say that he's gonna win it. Well, all I all I have to say is thank God for Bruce Pritchard coming in here and, and, and telling Vince McMahon, this Kofi guy, this is what we're gonna do with this Kofi story. So credit to him for sure. He's uh Definitely turning that company around one day at a time. But all right, uh, let's get to uh, some other uh, WWE topics here. We got some roster movement, our weekly edition of who got fired and who got hired in WWE. Uh, Kenta Hideo Tommy is officially out. Earlier, uh, they made it official. Uh, it was late last week, I believe, or early this week, uh, that he is no longer with the company. His release has been granted. So Hideo Tommy is out. Joe, thoughts on Kenta? Is he coming home? Where's he going? All that sort of stuff. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Now it's you know, official that he's out and, and, and now it's just kind of a formality of where he ends up next. Obviously he's got the 90 day, no compete. Uh, so we'll see where he eventually pops up, but, uh, yeah, your thoughts on, on, on where you think Kenta will, uh, or Hideo Tommy or whatever the hell he'll go by, but he'll go by Kenta, uh, where he will appear, uh, next. Oh, look, I've been saying this for weeks and I'm going to keep pounding the drum and a lot of people aren't going to like it if it happens, but I think a lot of people think it's a foregone conclusion that he just moonwalks back into Noah. And I wouldn't mind that at all. In fact, I'd like to see that. I think there's a lot of interesting things that Kenta could do in Noah. In fact, we talked about the possibility of Marafuji taking the title from Kiyomiya and then pivoting right to a Marafuji-Kenta program. The timing would be perfect for when he's allowed to, to finally wrestle, and it might spark an attendance fire under Noah that they haven't had in a while. I mean, those two guys drew 6,000 fans to Sumo Hall on September 1st, so not why not ride that? But... I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he's going to Noah. I would not be stunned at all if he turns up in New Japan. I really would not be surprised at all. Um, you know, he's already got, you know, Shibata's there already. I could totally see him wanting to hang out with Shibata in L.A. in between tours, in that dojo. He's got training experience. Uh, you know, he's pals with Shibata, as everybody knows. And, uh, you know, Mikey Nichols showed up in New Japan. and got announced uh, for New Japan. Now, we were tipped off to this a while ago that he'd be starting up with New Japan in March. And uh, it turns out he's starting at the New Japan Cup, of all places, in the tournament. And uh, that's another pal of Kenta's who's, you know, who had Noah roots, who didn't end up back in Noah. Ended up in New Japan. Now, look, it's a little different with Nichols because he trained in the New Japan LA Dojo the first time around. So you have to be fair and bring that up. He was there, you know, when Samoa Joe and and and, uh, and and Brian Danielson and Rocky Romero and and TJ Perkins and all those guys uh, were in the original LA Dojo. Nichols was one of those dudes, so he does have New Japan roots too. But 
no one considered him a New Japan guy. Everybody considered him a Noah guy with all the time that, that he and Shane Haste had spent in Noah. And, um, you know, he's another guy who's pals with Kenta, and he popped up in New Japan. And all I'm saying is, don't be surprised if that's ultimately where Kenta ends up, because it wouldn't surprise me at all. You got to look at it from this perspective, Rich. He left Noah because it was in a shit place. And he's the top guy there, and he still left. And they really haven't improved their position. You know, you could argue they're in a worse (laughs) position. And, you know, you could argue they're worse off now. And that was like two owners ago. That was like two different, you know, uh, management groups ago. What does this new management group owe to Kenta, and what does he owe them? You know, you have to consider that as well. These are different bosses running the place. The green ring is gone. You know, when I look at all of those things... You know, I'm sure they'd love to have him back, but why would he want to go back to the same company that was going nowhere fast the last time he was there and they're arguably in a worse position now? I, I you know, all of this to make a, a a lateral move and go back to where you started and with your tail between your legs? I don't know. I think Kenta to New Japan is a real possibility, a legitimate on the table possibility. And if I had to split out the odds right now, I'd actually make them the favorite. I'd say it's a, he's a 60, 40, I'd say 60, 40 with new Japan Mm. on the 60 side and Noah on the 40 side. That that's how I would lay out the odds right now. I'd probably go 55, 45. Cause I, I do think that the Noah thing is, is, is a very, very strong possibility. And, and the reason I bring that up is, is, Getting his release from WWE, I, I, I just, I, a part of me believes that given what they've done with this company, given how few times they've let people go and, and all that sort of stuff, and especially him, that, that if they knew that he was going to New Japan and, and, and no matter what they value him at, which is obviously not very much, that there would have to be something that he would have to have said, no, I'm not going to go to New Japan or whatnot. I don't know. I don't know if they value him that highly. I don't know what they value him. And that, that's sort of what my idea is. And, and, and I wonder that if Noah, you know, the, this new Noah ownership, because it seemed to just be too much of a coincidence that when Noah got, Noah got their new ownership that that all of a sudden he was asking for his release and he wanted out that maybe they're going to give him some cushy you know some really good office job maybe he's going to be the head trainer or what, whatever it is like that that's what I'm led to believe that's still my favorite possibility is that he goes to Noah he does some office thing he's a, the, the the representative or whatnot so, something like that some sort of big cushy job that he can do as one of the kind of the head guys uh, at that company or but yeah I, I think my 55 is on that Noah scenario but I think that 45 in New Japan is is, is not unreasonable either because. It, they're they're just signing everybody, you know what I mean? Like they're the most aggressive in terms of 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 signing people, and they've been the most aggressive about signing people. And if you're a a star in Japan and you want to be a star pro wrestler, you go there. If you're Shingo, you go there. If you're Ishimori, you go there. Like these guys can kind of entertain other ideas, but we know you know Sonata is another example too. They entertain these other ideas, but when push comes to shove, they end up there. And if you want to be that star and you want to be that big level, you you know guy, that's where you go these days. So I don't know it it. it I, I'm I'm pretty like that's it like I don't think I think those are the only and I, I guess maybe this is an interesting discussion are those the only two scenarios like there's no way he goes anywhere else right it's either Noah or New Japan right do, do you I mean see, I'm sure he's not popping up on all Japan you know what I mean like he's not doing no 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 no, like, no. he's definitely no 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 there's no reason to do that that's there's just those stupid. two scenarios are the only uh, ones we have place, why would right? you go to all Japan I mean if you're you just go to Noah in that case I mean you go back where you know you're gonna be over and. You, you know you're definitely going to be the top guy, and why would you go to all Japan and 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 fuck around trying to you know juggle positions with with Kento Miyahara and Suwama and Nah, you don't go somewhere unfamiliar. You just you go back to Noah if that's the case. 
Um, I, I think you bring up a good point. It's possible New Japan doesn't want him. You know, he's older. He's broken down. Um, you know, there, there is always that possibility. And if that's the case, then yeah, he's going to Noah. I, he wouldn't go anywhere else in Japan. I put yeah. all of that at 0%. Would AEW pick up the phone? Of course they would. Why wouldn't they? Um, but if he wanted to stay in America, you know, why would he leave WWE unless, like a lot of other people, he 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 thinks, okay, um, you know, if you're AEW, are you throwing a pile of money at him? I don't I don't know if I am. Um, you know, is I wouldn't. He I love Kenta, but I don't think he's worth that much. You know, I don't think he he provides a shit ton of value to an American wrestling fan, especially those American. Nah, I mean, he's you, way more valuable a to a us, Japanese but like, wrestling company. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. He's way more valuable to a Japanese wrestling company. So, um, you know, and, and, and he struggled to get over in WWE. So, look, it wouldn't stun me if, if they're interested in him. I, look, it, they should be doing their due diligence on anyone, you know. Um, but but I, I, I give that very slim odds. I think it's Noah or it's New Japan. And I, I just don't think people in general are giving enough credence to the idea. I mean... You've mentioned a couple other people. We've seen it before. It's like, you know, whether it's Shingo or Ishimori or Sonata, um, sometimes these guys find a way to angle themselves into New Japan. But again, that is dependent on whether New Japan is interested. I think if New, if New Japan is interested in Kenta, I don't think he owes Noah anything. This isn't the Noah he worked for. Right. I, you know, that's that's the other big thing here. Um. So... I don't know. That, well, that's how... I think, not to interrupt, but one thing that we've seen lately with all these moves in Japan is that people, and, and, and it's long been a thing, like you're, you're, you know, you're loyal to the, the, the company or the, the dojo or whatever that developed you or whatnot, but once you leave, that initial leave, you're kind of good to go. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's, that's where he's already left the one time. Right. He doesn't owe, that, that connection is sort of broken already. That once you leave and once you kind of go off and do whatever it is, whether it be WWE or, 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 or you know, the Sonata who just kind of breaks off and goes to America and does his, you know, indies or whatnot. Or, or you know, Shingo who was kind of like, you know, a quote-unquote freelancer for all whatever months he was or whatnot. That once you break that chain, once you kind of say, okay, I'm leaving, like that's the hard part to do is do that. But once you do that, you're kind of free to go. And, and yeah. like you're not under any obligation anymore. Now no longer is Kenta feel like he is like you said there's nothing bringing him back to Noah that wasn't already there when he or that was there when when he was there I mean th- that's all gone it's a whole thing is kind of a different company other than name only you know and 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 that's where yeah there's really nothing bringing him back and there's nothing that makes him a nece- that like oh my god it'd be totally disrespectful if he went to New Japan like it's it's not it would be fine because he already left in the first place anyway and and, and went to WWE and did that sort of stuff so th- it, it's going to be very fascinating to see, to see where he goes i think i'm i'm a, you're you're 60 40 on New Japan i'm 55 45 on Noah but neither yeah we're both pretty confident in either of those two and and not enough on like one. We're not like eighty twenty or you know ninety ten. Like I I think either scenario is is pretty plausible. I'm fascinated to see which one he actually picks. And neither would stun me. I mean, no. Obviously, if he if he if he walks out on a Noah show, no one's going to be surprised. And I, I'm just saying that for people who think that's a foregone conclusion, don't be surprised if he pops up in New Japan. I because I, I can totally see that playing out that way. 
All right, so let's get to uh, the next guy here, TJ Perkins. Our good friend TJ Perkins, former voice wrestling guest, too. Joins Micah Taylor and the distinguished alumni of, of guests that we've had. Uh, this was uh, late last week as well. TJ Perkins got his release. Uh, this, according to Dave Meltzer, though, uh, disciplinary reasons, quote, disciplinary reasons, noting that while the precise details surrounding him being let go are mostly unknown, a number of company officials and wrestlers have claimed he was difficult to work with. Joe, can you believe that TJP would be difficult to work with? No, it's stunning. <laughs> I know. Um, look, he's a little pain in the ass. The the, th- the thing about this one is you kind of saw it coming. If you listen to the TV reviews I do on the pay side, I've been talking about this one for weeks. Uh, he is almost never on 205 Live anymore. Um, and when he showed up for his final match, which we didn't know was his final match until a couple days later, I thought it looked like he put on a little bit of weight. He grew the, uh, the midlife crisis goatee. He had new tattoos. He kind of slept walk his way through the match. And this was coming off of a few weeks ago where he was very vocally complaining on Twitter that he wasn't being used. He was talking a lot of shit. Then he kind of walked all of that back in a podcast interview where he was saying that, no, he doesn't want to be anywhere else but WWE. I think um, he kind of asked for this and, and without officially asking for it and probably was a pain in the ass. He even had stated... Um, on his Twitter that he had been shooting a ton of ideas at people all falling on deaf ears. That's not an unfamiliar story that we hear in that company at all. Um, and yeah, he was probably just too much of a pain in the ass at this point and, um, and, and they fired him. Um, so where does he go from here? I mean, obviously, as soon as those 90 days up with the state of indie wrestling right now, I suspect that his phone will ring off the hook. Uh, from every indie in the country. I mean, he'd instantly become one of the biggest names on the indies, you know, even before the WWE run, but coming off a WWE run, especially. Um, he's a guy that where, you know, I have no idea if he's friendly with the Bucks or, or not friendly with the Bucks or if they think he's a pain in the ass, but if he's someone that they get along with, they, they absolutely, AEW should give him a call and see where he's at with that. Um, you know, he hasn't worked New Japan since 2011. I think the 2011 Best of the Super Junior was the last time we saw him there. But again, he's another guy with New Japan roots. Would it stun me if they brought him in for a Super Junior tour or gave him a shot? No. Um, but there were a lot of years there where they could have used him and they didn't between 2011 and 2016 or whatever it was when he signed with WWE. So, you know, there was a five-year stretch there where the current management team and the current booker didn't have any interest in him. So um, I, don't, I don't think that's a likely destination, although it's not one that would stun me. But um, TJ Perkins is an immensely talented dude, and he's not going to be out of work for long. I mean, we see immensely talented pains in the asses, whether it's low-key or Austin Aries, and they're way more of a pain in the ass than TJ Perkins is, and they are never out of work for long. So I don't suspect that TJP will, um, you know, if he wants to, he can work on the 91st day after his 90 day is up. Um, I don't think he'll have any problem getting work, especially in this climate. 
Yeah, depending on when the day, uh, just for people wondering, I mean, this we're talking May. We're talking like the end of May yeah. is about when when that would pop up. Whatever whatever date it is that that is. If if he does truly have the ninety days, which which he he probably would, given this case, like there there's certain ways. Like we mentioned, Dean Ambrose would not have that because his contract would be expiring. But this was like a release. Was a release so I don't know if if he got fired and 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 it was such a disaster that maybe they don't have that. But but I'm led to believe that he probably got let go with that ninety day uh, uh, no compete. So yeah, that would be end of May was when. TJP will be popping up. Which we should places, note, so. any of these guys can pop up at double or nothing, hypothetically. But they're Correct. legally able to work double. Yeah. I think, well, when, what's the exact date of double or nothing? Why am I blanking on that right now? So TJ, he would be, because double or nothing is, what day are we talking there? I forget the exact date. So that is the 25th. So he'd be cutting a little close. But no, we're recording this on the 27th. He got released at a few, like almost like a week or so ago. So yeah, no, he, he'd be able to be there too. Yeah, so, th- this sure. was this news broke last week. So yeah. All of these guys would, by by about six days or so, will be legally able to work double or nothing, if that's the angle you want to think about when we're talking. And the next guy we're going to talk about, obviously, I think... Oh, gee, he's moonwalking into this. Let's transition sure, to that, yeah. It's, it's Yeah. Go ahead. It's 10 guy. Ty Dillinger also granted his release from WWE. Uh, their statement was WWE announced the, uh, the news via a brief statement on their website, saying WWE has come to terms on the release of Ron Arnelli, I believe is how you say it. Arnelli? Yeah, I don't, it doesn't matter. Ty Dillinger, that's him. So uh, he posted on his social media accounts that he requested his release, um, and he got it. So uh, he wrote about the decision. I feel at this time, uh, I feel at this time this decision, as extremely difficult as it was, is what is best for myself and WWE. I wish to continue to grow as a performer and offer those paying harder money to watch a show I'm performing on a little more of myself, so yeah, I think he's he's a sh- he's a shoe in for AEW, right? Like I know people get annoyed when like anybody gets released or anybody's a free agent. We go, oh, that guy's gonna go to AEW, right? He can go to AEW. They're always a player for anybody, and they're always gonna call everybody. But this dude is fucking moonwalking at AEW, right? It's a lock. It's a hundred percent. He's going to <laughs> AEW. Um, this is one of the guys that Cody's been recruiting long before anyone knew that AEW would ever exist. Uh, one of the guys he was talking to in that company about. You can carve a path out here, you know, and it's a friend of his. And, and, and I think there's, I am, I, you know, not only do I think it's a 100% lock that he eventually ends up in AEW, I think it's a very good chance he's on double or nothing. I mean, since there's nothing stopping him from showing up on that show and, um, you know, and, and I think he's a solid wrestler for them to bring in. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I'm, 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 we talked about this last week, I think, but I'm getting real tired of, you know, this, this whole attitude sometimes of, oh, well, these guys aren't stars. Who cares? It's like, you don't need everybody to be a star. Everybody can't be a star. Oh, we talked and, about it last week. You need the, yeah. the, the, the guys on the, you need the mid card guys too. It can't yeah. always be. Yeah. So. And you know, the other thing too, when we mentioned this and I'm not saying that Ty Dillinger is going to be right. anything, but I would have done the same thing about Cody when he got released. We, Correct. We did. That list, that list came out and we laughed. We laughed. We spent an hour going, this fucking clown thinks that he's going to waltz in and face all these top guys. And that th- this guy who's a joke, the Stardust guy who's a fucking laughing stock in this company, has this list of all these top indie guys that he's going to face. And he fucking did. You know what I mean? Like, and he nailed almost every single one of them. And yeah. he's one of the bigger stars on the indies right now. So, like, I'm not insinuating that Ty Dillinger is, but the idea that you're not a star in WWE does not mean that you're not valuable to other companies in some right. way, shape, or form. And that what you've gotten out of Ty Dillinger there is what you're going to get out of Ty Dillinger every single place. I don't think that highly of Ty Dillinger, to be honest. Like he, To me, he's not... There's a lot of people who think he's awesome. think he's great. I think the 10 thing is kind of fun for like five minutes. I'm good. Like after that, I'm... I'm I, yeah. It's fun when he comes out number 10 in the Royal Rumble, and then it's it, it's whatever. But 
still, we, we cannot just immediately just say, oh, well, it's Cy Dillinger. Okay, it doesn't matter. I mean, it could matter. It could. We don't know that. And that's going to be the thing is that, you know, this, this with a new company, we don't know what it's going to be like when these guys go. And, and, and yeah, you don't know exactly what Ty Dillinger is going to offer to the table. And if he doesn't offer anything more than lower mid-card stuff, that's fine. You need those too. You need a guy that comes out, uh, the second match on the show, does his little gimmick and, and, and has a little match and then gets out of there. Like, you need those people too. It can't just be Kenny Omega and the Bucks all the time. It's got to be those other guys too. We talked about it last week a little bit. So, so I'm with you on that. Yeah, and you know who thinks he's awesome? Other wrestlers. He's one of these guys who other wrestlers love him. And... You know, the old good, solid veteran hand. That's what he is. And, um, you know, you know, it, it's it's it, the connections there. And it, and I would be beyond stunned if that's not where he ends up. No, I mean, that that's it's a foregone conclusion. That's that's where he's going yeah. for sure. So that's that's that one. Um, some other news and notes. So we talked about the coffee, uh, the, uh, yeah, the Europeans. We, they signed but, a few more. Yeah. Before, one second, though. Why did they even call that guy up? Um, when you look back now at his run, yeah, they wanted somebody at the Royal Rumble to do the ten thing. Why'd they even call him up? I mean, they—I they, don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know he was hurt recently, but for a long time he was just there, and they were doing absolutely nothing with him. It's like, why even call? I mean, was it just the gold watch? Was it? You've been in this company on and off for a decade. Uh, you know. It, 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 was that you think that because they they clearly had no interest in doing a thing with the guy. He didn't even do TV jobs. He just did nothing. I I, I rarely do you see yeah, he's someone. A, he's a fascinating one. Yeah, he, he's so I was looking. I'm I'm looking right now at his his what he did on TV and pay per views uh, since getting called up. So he, he faced Baron Corbin and lost uh, after the Rumble. I think if I have that correct. Oh, he was he even in like a. He was in the 2017 Royal Rumble. I forget. He wasn't even in the 2018 Royal Rumble. Jesus. Yeah. So he lost to Baron Corbin. Um, teamed with Brizango. <laughs> lost to Baron Corbin. Teamed with Brizango in a loss. Was in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Was in the Greatest Royal Rumble. Lost to Nakamura. Lost to Samoa Joe. Lost to Nakamura. And that is it. That is your Ty Gillinger <laughs> entire career on main roster. WWE, that was his so. entire... Not just 2018. Oh, that was just 2018. Sorry, sorry. He also did a little, you know, he popped up. Uh, so what do you, so he did that. Okay. Well, no, actually, maybe. Because he popped up for the Royal Rumble in 2017. And then I think right. he went right back to NXT, if I remember, after that. So, okay, so here's his exact, oh, you want every, I'll give you every single thing that he did. From call-up to WWE. cut. From call-up. So called up. And now, April, now, don't, no, oh, sorry, no, no main event. No, was he on main event at all? Don't worry about main event. I don't have main event. I just have like, uh, I'll just do SmackDowns and Raws and pay-per-views. Okay. So. What brand was he even on? I couldn't even tell you what brand. <laughs> Apparently SmackDown. So, okay. Uh, so he gets called up April 4th, 2017. He loses, or he beats Kurt Hawkins. You gotta, gotta be Kurt Hawkins. Can't lose to Kurt Hawkins. Um, he beats Aiden English. He beats Aiden English. He beats Aiden English. He uh, loses, he participates in a uh, number one contendership uh, Independence Day Battle Royal for the U.S. title. Uh, he loses Jinder Mahal. He loses to Aiden English. That's a bad start because he's just got done beating him four times in a row. So now he loses to him. Uh, he teams with Sami Zayn to beat Aiden English and Mike Kanellis. This match never happened. Joe, Sami Zayn and Ty Dillinger defeat Aiden English and Mike Kanellis. That's a SmackDown match? That never happened. That's a lie. That's fake news. SmackDown? Gonna... Yeah, apparently. <laughs> That's, that never happened. So. Okay. I'm going to report that to uh, to Paul and the crew over at uh, Cage Match. Let them know they must have made an error here. Uh, then you have the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Ty Dillinger. You have a uh, U.S. title match. Even though he lost the Independence Day Battle Royal a month prior, he gets a title match here. Uh, he loses to AJ Styles in two minutes. Uh, he loses to Baron Corbin. 
He loses another U.S. title match to AJ Styles, loses to Baron Corbin, beats Baron Corbin. <laughs> He's in a triple threat match. Oh, Hell in a Cell. I forgot about this. Triple threat Hell in a Cell for the U.S. title. Baron Corbin defeats AJ Styles and Ty Dillinger. So Baron Corbin uh, wins the title there. That also never happened either. <laughs> Wait a minute. What pay-per-view was that on? Uh, apparently Hell in a Cell 2017. AJ Styles versus <laughs> Baron Corbin versus Ty Dillinger? <laughs> apparently. I'm gonna I'm gonna check our website to make sure. No, that, that never ha- happened. That's no. This is like <laughs> no. the Mandela effect or something. Yeah, we're just. This we're is thinking. a fake match. You're fucking with me. Hold on, because I've been reviewing WWE pay per views for Fighting Spirit magazine since like 2014. I don't. That match never happened. Admit you're making that up. <laughs> so okay, so I'm looking at the review. Apparently, it did happen. Um. Both of our reviewers, it was it was Kelly Harris and uh, Sean Cedor did the review here. Uh, both of them agree that Dillinger was only put in there because they didn't want Baron Corbin or AJ Styles to take a fall. So right. they just shoehorned Ty Dillinger in there so that he could lose. Because that's when they were protecting Baron Corbin. Right. Do not forget that. That happened for years. I, I agree. Gar- Baron Corbin. So that, so that apparently was the purpose of it. But uh, yeah, it does, um, it does seem strange. He, uh, okay, earlier in the night, Ty, oh, it ha- oh, I remember this. It happened the night of. I do remember this now. So they had like a, a pre during the pre-show, Ty Dillinger went to uh, Dan O'Brien, who was a SmackDown GM at that time, and said that he pinned Baron Corbin on SmackDown Live recently, so he should get a shot at this title, not Baron Corbin. Which logically is not bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not too bad. And Brian agreed and said, you know what? You're right. You're in the match. And then he lost. So, you know, I vaguely remember this now. <laughs> I do remember that because I remember people being like, yeah, Ty Dillinger has a point there. Like, he did beat him, but it, it kind of speaks to how ridiculous the TV is um, and how nonsensical wins and losses. Uh, 2017. I have to see what I wrote about this. I'm trying to, you're going to see your fighting I, spirit <laughs> magazine. So as as you're looking that up, I will um, I'll continue here. Uh, Jinder Mahal, he he's loses Jinder Mahal uh, for a United States title uh, tournament first round. He loses to Baron Corbin. Um, and then the ones I talked about. Um, where he uh, teams with uh, Breezango uh, and wins, loses to Baron Corbin, loses with Breezango, loses to Nakamura, loses to Joe, loses to Nakamura, and then participates in the greatest Royal Rumble and the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. So, And that was it. From the Andre the Giant Battle Royal on, that was it. That's him. it. <sighs> okay. I guess he did a little more than I thought. <laughs> um, no recollection of a ton of that, obviously. But, uh, yeah, now he's gone. I know he's been hurt for a long time, though, so there a is. lot of that's not his. Yeah, yeah, there, there's been quite a while where, where, yeah, we can't really necessarily count that. But it's not like they were going to do anything with him anyway. So, they, yeah, this is this is a guy who benefits from from this. And we mentioned a, a before, there are those fringe benefits of, of, of having an AEW, having any competition, having New Japan in the field, having Ring of Honor signing guys. It's not always the top, top-tier guys. Everybody immediately goes to the big guys and go, oh, my God, like this guy's going to get money and that guy's going to get money. It is everybody on the roster. It's your Ty Dillinger's, your Mojo Rawley's, your Revival's. And we're also seeing it too. And and while we're sticking with WWE, this will be uh, you know we have one more topic on WWE, and then we'll move on uh, to J- New Japan. Like we're seeing guys like Randy Orton using the leverage to get a little bit more money. Fucking Batista shows up on Raw. He floats that AEW is looking at me. You know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go there. And I'm sure he got a much better offer than he w- would have gotten had AEW not existed. So it's like. All these guys are using this for leverage, so that's why we always say you should root for any of this competition. Even if you don't like the Bucks or Omega, or you don't like New Japan, or you don't like Ring of Honor, you don't like any other... Co- still, 
you if you are a fan of WWE, <laughs> you want this because it's better for everybody. Every wrestler, everybody benefits from this. We're seeing it all the way down to uh, Ty Dillinger, to your Mojo Rallies, to your Batistas and your Randy Ortons. Everybody benefits from it. So, All right, let's get to this last little bit here of uh, WWE news. They uh, signed five new additions to the NXT UK roster. Joe, more Jags for you, but they, uh, there's some good stuff in this one. I don't know if there's, there's necessarily... There, there's two... Jags and then the guy I know that you don't quite uh, see as you know quite the way that some other people do. But anyway, it was officially announced today uh, that uh, Ilya Dragnov, uh, his real name is uh, what is it, Ilya Rockberg, I think. I was just gonna go Dragnov. It's much better. Uh, Kylie Ray, Jazzy Gabbert, Primate, Jay Melrose, and Oliver Sauter, who is Oliver Carter, uh, have signed with WWE uh, for uh, for NXT UK. So um, they are going to be joining. Uh, the company's UK Performance Center in North London. So thoughts on those uh, those five new additions uh, to NXT UK. Ilya Dragunov, finally. I mean, Ilya I like and WWE... signed two years ago. I felt like he was signed two years ago, right? They just needed the fucker, Eddie. The, the guy would get pulled off of indie shows seemingly every other week. So um, it's about time that that's just official and they've got him in the fold. And he worked... He worked the last UK taping. I think it was a dark match, or it may have been a dark match. So we all knew this was coming, and now it's finally official. Um, I, look, he's a guy that people love. I, I I just don't get it with that guy. To me, he's a guy who makes funny faces and throws a lot of chops, and I, I think you have to have an emotional connection to him to kind of dig what he does. I have no emotional connection to him, so his matches generally fall flat with me. Um, to me, he looks like a constipated Sean Penn. I, I just, I, I don't get it. I think he's just a guy who makes weird faces and 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 screams a lot and throws chops. And I guess if you're a WXW fan and you're, um, and you're just fucking, you're just emotionally connected to his story and all of that, then 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 I get it. But it does nothing for me. So I, I don't know how that's going to come across in WWE. Maybe because he's on the UK show. It'll help because there'll be more, you know, fans uh, of that show who are are emotionally connected to him and what he brings to the table. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he he worked Bola last year, did nothing for me. Um, I watch his hyped matches; they do nothing for me. So um, I don't know. I just never got the guy. I I think he's a local thing myself. Um, I, I guess he got over to some extent at at, at Bola, um, but. You know, that's a different kind of crowd, so who knows? Uh, I don't know. I I don't know what to make of this one. I think he's definitely on the right brand, though. I I really don't know how. I'd be way less confident in this guy if he was going to straight-up NXT. I I just think he's he's someone who needs to be in front of his people is is kind of what I'm getting at here. Um, You've seen the guy. What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of the same way with you. Is 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 anytime I watch one of his entrances and I see the crowd going nuts, it looks awesome. Like it looks like incredible to be in the crowd for one of his his entrances. But the matches never really work for me. Even the really hyped Walter one. I remember everybody saying, "This is just incredible. You got to watch this one." And I really, I I enjoyed it. It was good. But I was just like, I don't know. It it just doesn't strike me. I, I come away going, "Oh my god, Walter's awesome." Ilya, yeah, he's fine. He's a good foil to Walter. And, and like, anytime I watch an Ilya Dragunov match, there's just, it never connects with me on that level. And that, and, that, and that's perfectly fine. He strikes me as a guy, and, and we talk to people all the time that go and see his shows, that are there live, and they all say, you gotta be there for him. He is he is of that atmosphere. He is of wherever he's at. He is, and, and what's, there's good and a bad to that. 
what's good is it makes it incredible. He's a great small room wrestler that we always say a lot of times. Where a guy like he's a local guy, people feel the emotion with him. He feels like one of them, and when he comes out, they go nuts for him because he's a guy that's rose up from the ranks and all that. Like so, all that stuff is really great. Like again, I would love to be in an atmosphere for a match of his, his because it looks incredible. It looks super fun. But how does that translate now to the big picture? How does that translate to NXT UK running during access or whatever? How does that translate to if he moves up to NXT normal? Like I, that's going to be the big thing is that we've seen so far with NXT UK is that some of the shows are done in front of that smaller audience and and those people react to the people they're supposed to react to. But then we also see NXT UK done in front of audiences that 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 don't necessarily know all that much or they're bigger audiences and they they might not project nearly as much. You know these these small room acts or whatever might not project nearly as much and will they? Will, will NXT UK realize what they have in Ilya and, and, and push him and, and make him important in those small rooms or are they going to try to do whatever like I don't know what the long term is going to be with him but that's what I've always come across is that he his ceiling seems like he's kind of reached the ceiling of just doing small indie shows in his country and, and, and that's it's really fun WXW he comes out and he's a god to those people which is great it's awesome and it really looks cool but does that translate to NXT UK does that translate to NXT does that translate translate to WWE I don't know it didn't really translate to bowl. Like you said, it kind of did. Like, they were into it a little bit. But, I don't know, Did were, were, were they like, if he never appeared on, on, on a bowl ever again, would you be stunned? Like, had this not happened, had he not signed with WWE, do you think he would have been invited back time and time again? Or was he, like, a made man? He's not a band. I mean, we see Bandito, who became a sensation in PWG. He's nowhere near on that I, level. I don't think he bombed. He didn't. No, he didn't bomb. He's not, like, um, Brian Myers level bomb, but, like, it's fine. Like, did you see... Like, that's the thing, is that I don't know that if he goes to NXT UK and he's just, like what he was at Bola, that that's, I, I don't know, maybe that's okay, maybe that's fine, but I think there's an expectation of what this guy is, and people look at him and watch him, and, and watch some of his matches, and see some of his entrances, and think star, and think this, you know, guy at the top of the company, and I don't think he's going to be that in NXT UK, and I, maybe they don't think that either, maybe they just think of him as a utility guy as well, I, I, I don't know what their expectations are, but I like him, you know, well enough, I just don't know that he's going to be a star. Yeah, I don't know, I, I really get the idea that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I don't know. I, I, he just doesn't connect to me. Um, even the matches at Bola, it seems other people liked him a little more than I did. I mean, he had the match with Shingo. I think I went three and a half or three and three quarters on that. Other people had it like well over four. They thought it was this phenomenal match, and I just didn't see it at that level. The other thing with 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 Dragunov is in almost every match I've ever seen with him, I thought the other person was better. But it's not... See, his thing is not being this phenomenal bell-to-bell wrestler. It's... He gets... He has a a crowd connection that very few wrestlers today have. I will give him that. It's like you said. It's very obvious when he wrestles in front of that crowd in his home promotion that he's their guy, their homegrown guy. They love him. And they connect with what he's doing. And um, and that's something that's just special that, that you really can't teach somebody. But will it translate? And if I had the bet, I would say that it will not. Um, you know we're going to get a lot of shit for this. You know that, right? You know oh, for sure. as it's soon fine. as this hits, we're dead. But I, I can only go by what I see. And and um, that Walter match you're talking about, I, I think that was probably the best match I've seen of his. But again, I like you, I came away more impressed with Walter. Um, but, but yeah, it's like the sympathy that he drew and the, and, and the crowd being behind him is, look, it was a major part of that match. And that's a major part of all of his matches. I mean, but yeah, I am very, like you, I am 
quite skeptical that that will translate anywhere outside of that promotion. Um, as far as the other people they signed, you know, the primate, that's one of my guys on the TV reviews. You know, with Screwface, he's another one. But, uh, and Wild Boar, that's another guy. Um, you know, so it's good to see the primate get, 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 a, get an official deal since they were using them anyway. And he was working on the show. And uh, who were some of the other people? Uh, Jazzy Gabbert, who uh, impressed, oh, yeah. obviously, during the first Mae Young Classic, but that feels like ages ago. And obviously, they she had some injury waiting. issues and, and exactly. whatnot. So, yeah. They're waiting for her to pass a medical, basically, because it was very obvious that they were interested in her. So, good for her. She got her health in order, and, and, and they got her in there. I think she could be a star on that brand because I think like she's got a projectable look. You know, I mean, she's a big, you know, giant, menacing, and that, and that's they're they're really starving for some of them on the NXT UK too. So I think she'll fit in quite well. Um, and and we know that that company will always kind of air towards that side. They like their you know their their you know maybe they're not going to be the star of the the NXT UK women's brand, but they like their Nia Jaxes and their Taminas to kind of work off of some of the other people as well. So I think that'll be pretty fun to see here. Kaylee Ray also. Uh, another woman coming in uh, to NXT UK. Yeah, and she's done. Vign- they've had vignettes for her on the show already, so um, that was to be expected too. So, yeah, injecting some new talent, and God knows that show needs some new talent. Yeah. What about Oliver Carter? I don't. I don't know a thing about Oliver Carter. Don't know enough to comment, so I'll just lay low on that. But uh, yeah, you've been watching every single week. Uh, yeah. What, what? Any sort of people you're 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 in for just anybody, right? <laughs> just. Some... I mean, I like I I I like the show, and. But I, I know why other people don't. I totally get it. It's a very... It can be a very dry show. And there aren't a ton of people on the show with a ton of charisma. And there's a lot of jags. I've made a whole running gag out of it. So, yeah, you know, to inject another half a dozen talents into things and mix it up a little bit is a good thing. Because it's also getting a little stale seeing the same people come out every week too so um, you know this is a good thing and WWE they're also moving people around brands I mean Cassius Ono showed up at the NXT UK tapings after he was basically written off of NXT by Keith Lee Keith Lee laid him out uh, Cassius Ono came out said he's had it with the he hates the NXT fans he's out of here he's leaving Keith Lee comes out and knocks him out and basically that was a write off and then the next time we see him he's at the NXT UK tapings I mean, that's if, if that's a permanent thing, that's a great move for him because he, he's never going anywhere in NXT. We know that. Um, he could be a top-line player in NXT UK. You know, Noam Dar's a guy who I think belongs on NXT UK. He just does not get over into, on 205 Live, and I don't think he ever will. They tried doing it goofy, uh, you know, sports entertainment style, and it he didn't really work and now he's a straight laced baby face and it hasn't really worked he doesn't have the right kind of charisma for American audiences now look he's like 23 years old so it's not a guy that you cut but they get him in Europe so NXT UK is where Noam Dar belongs and I think his NXT UK appearances he's just been like a different guy than when he's been on 205 Live so I think that is is a positive move as well so you're seeing WWE moves some parts around now, which I think is a good thing. You have all of these brands, exploit them. Right, freshen guys up by moving them too. I think that that's always a thing that we've talked about many, many times before. Like, you know, we, we've said, you know, you moving guys, if you had an international 
uh, you know, development territories or international territories or other different, even rela- we talked about relationships even with other companies where you can send a guy, hey, catch yeah. Sona, we got nothing for him this, you know, these next few months. Hey, you guys want to use him? Yeah, no problem. Well, now they've done that in their own, like, sort of, they have their own regionalized TV. They have their NXT, they have their NXT UK, and there's not really, uh, and I guess for better or for worse, they've created an atmosphere where some of the main roster guys don't mind going to NXT or don't mind going to Evolve or don't mind going to NXT UK. They don't necessarily right. see it as a downgrade, which is, I, I think, both a positive and a negative. <laughs> the idea that the main roster yeah. isn't the biggest positive in the world is not great, but the idea that now you can sort of tell these guys, hey, you're going to NXT, and they don't go, they don't, you know, kind of kick their bag down the, the hallway and get all pussy, you know, p- pissy about it is is good. Like, you know, that that, that I think that's positive too, where, where Noam Dar is probably going to embrace going to NXT UK because it sure as shit beats, you know, working in 205 Live over nobody that doesn't give a, give a shit or, or Cassius Ono being able to kind of do some other stuff too and, and, and spread his wings a little bit more and be, you know, kind of a more important character on NXT. NXT UK, and then we're going to see that grow when, when NXT Japan eventually gets up and running, and when these other NXT ones, you know, get up and running, those guys will be able to kind of move and 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 do that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think that's yeah, they that's, just it's positive, and they just they just moved Oni Lorcan to 205 Live. You know, he was just he, uh, announced that you know he was in the tournament, so or is going to be in the tournament. So that's another one. I don't know if he's staying there for good. Humberto Carrillo moving from NXT to 205 Live, although he's still you know he's got some NXT stuff still in the can. I think he just had a TV match a couple weeks ago, so. They, they they really it's good that they're exploiting that now you know they, they have like five different brands or whatever it is and you can move these parts around like you said not only to keep people fresh but to let people do different things and work with different people and, and maybe find different ways to get over and it's only good for the development of the wrestlers too and um, and, and to keep the, the the wrestlers minds fresh as well I mean you get just get stale doing showing up to the same job every week, and especially when you're spinning your wheels going nowhere. TJP was a guy who he he said that he asked to maybe move to different brands and stuff, and they just never did it with him. But you know, it just it, it, it it's good that they're doing this and shuffling people around, and I and I think that we're going to see more of it moving forward. All right, so anything else on uh, WWE before we move on to the world of uh, New Japan? No, I think we uh, we hit everything we wanted to hit. We got it. All right. Let's get to New Japan here. Obviously, had the two Honor Rising shows, the New Japan Ring of Honor joint shows. Here we had night one, night two. We're going to break those down uh, kind of match by match. But overall thoughts on the uh, the tour uh, as far as Honor Rising before we get to uh, – we're going to get to New Japan Cup here in a moment uh, as well. But, yeah, overall thoughts on the Honor Rising tour. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it, – it, it, it's – I think everything that didn't involve the kingdom was pretty fun. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, I'm no. I, that, look, I think they it's suck. Like, you were the one talking about Balloon Guy last week. I told you they balloon suck. Guy, listen, I like Balloon Guy. Nah, balloon Guy sucks. The problem was I didn't do the balloons. He just wrestled. Yes, that's the problem. not good. Yes, correct. You got to have Balloon Guy under the ring, and he's got to release those balloons because that's spooky, Rich. I think it's spooky. And then he shows up and he beats you up, you know. But this was just Balloon Guy wrestling. Which is obviously Balloon Guy's weakness. <laughs> the kingdom stinks. I they're mean, they're so good. boring. They're not good. When Matt and, Taven and, is the shining light of your team and the only one with any discernible value, that that's probably not good. I really thought both of these shows were a lot of fun. Night one more so than night two. But everything that didn't involve the kingdom, for the most part, landed and was fun. And the kingdom, you want to talk about blown opportunities. Okay, let's talk about this TK Orion. I want to talk about yeah. TK Orion Let's for a minute yeah. here. Okay. So he, uh, for people that don't know, he uh, he main evented uh, night. What was it? Night two. Yeah, not, no, may not main evented. He was he was he was third from the top, but he had an ROH title match uh, against Jay Lethal on night two. 
Um, Correct. Yeah. And he main evented night one. And he main evented night one. So, that's, that's, yeah, sorry, I mixed those two up. Yep. So this is my point here on TKO Ryan, okay? You're TKO Ryan. Hiroshi Tanahashi, for some reason, thinks you're the next big thing, and that's a fact. Hiroshi Tanahashi loves this man, which is probably why they worked them in the six-man main event on night one. Um, other people think this guy is a future breakout star. Okay, I've never seen it myself. I think the guy's dry as a bone. But you go to Japan, you work New Japan, you main event Cork and Hall your first night in, and you work third from the top in a world title match on your second night, and those are the two performances that you give people? That's what you go out there and do? Rich, did TKO Ryan stand out at all in either of these matches on either of these shows? And could you argue he was the most boring wrestler on uh, on the entire... I'm not... I mean, I'm not trying to be... No, no. He was... He. There was a point where I was watching that, that, that match, and I, th- I forget what it was. It only went about 10 minutes, but it felt like it was fucking excruciatingly long because nothing happened. Wait a minute. The lethal match? Yes. It was only 10 minutes, Joe. I thought... I, Bullshit. I, 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 I shit you not. I thought it was... I, I could have promised you it was 25 minutes. Easily. 10 minutes and 52 seconds. <laughs> that's what it says. That's the Holy shit. If you would have asked me, you could have won my house in a, in a bet. I would have told you that was a 25-minute match. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it either. I just did a double take. As you were talking right there, I decided to search another source because I was like, no, no, no. I must have hit two when I meant to type one. or, or I, I don't know what the hell, but no. 10 minutes and 52 seconds, somehow, some way. There was a point, I guess halfway through it. I was going to say about 10 minutes into the match, but obviously not. Obviously five minutes into the match. Where he, I forget what he did, he did a move to Lethal and just went like, Lethal's garbage, just like all of you. And I was just like, they don't speak yeah. English, you idiot. Like, and you and can't well, on top do, of that. You can't do 2002 indie heel heat in Japan. Like, what are you doing? Like, you and know. no, And nobody cared about that match. I mean, no one cared. Yeah, it was crickets. It was. It was... And, and, and they didn't do anything to get the people to care. No. And TK O'Ryan was gift-wrapped. I mean, this tour was set up for him to be the one to shine. It really was. And he shit the bed. And it's like, I, I even hesitate to use the term shit the bed because he, he wasn't, like, bad. So he didn't really shit the bed. He just existed. He just proved that he's he, not a star. You, you know, and, like, it, it yeah, seems he weird because this guy's only, like, stand out. or whatever. But yeah, you, you, this is a, the opportunity of a lifetime, and he just did nothing with it. You, you know, did yeah, nothing he didn't, with it. The, the match wasn't bad; it just wasn't good. It was just boring as fuck. That's a two and a half star match. Yeah, exactly. But that's not good enough. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like the the, the no. working standard in New Japan and the working standard of you getting this opportunity. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for a guy, and yeah, he came out and just did a basic bare bones match and got out of there, and that's just that's not going to cut it. These are the two biggest matches of his life, and he failed to stand out in either one of them, and. I mean, he's not even Matt Taven, who's not Matt, and and not, nobody thinks Matt Taven is anything special. And at least Balloon Guy has a wacky look. I mean, what does TK Ryan have going for him? What do people see in this guy? I don't know. What are they seeing? What does Hiroshi Tanahashi see in this man, where he thinks he's the next big thing? I don't get it. I mean, you know, we got tipped off after we talked about Kyle Fletcher last week. Remember? And we were told that Hiroshi Tanahashi loves Kyle Fletcher, too. Okay, at least Kyle Fletcher has good matches. We talked about Kyle Fletcher's weaknesses last week, but I recognize that he goes out there and he has good matches. And I could, and he's 20 years old, so I could see somebody saying, I'm going to hitch my wagon to Kyle Fletcher. He's 20 years old. If he puts some weight on, he's already pretty good. This guy can be something, right? 
What does anybody see in TKO Ryan? What is it that they're seeing? Because I see nothing. I see as average as average gets. Like, you can't be more average than TKO Ryan. He's, he's the jag of all jags. Like, he can slip right into fucking NXT UK with Dan Maloney and Joe Connors and, and El Ligero and all these guys on, on NXT UK who are just non-entities, who just exist. That's what TKO Ryan is. And he was gift-wrapped this opportunity and did nothing with it. How many wrestlers are sitting around going, fuck, I would have put me in the main event of Corican Hall. Give me a world title match in Corican Hall for, this, for these huge joint shows. Frothing at the mouth. And this is what this guy goes out there and does? He should, he should, he should be kicking himself right now. I really hope he doesn't think that he delivered. I, I, I hope that he doesn't think that. He's that delusional. And I hope somebody took him aside and said, man, that, that was not it, my man. That was not it. Because this was not good. And you could you could make a reasonable argument that TKO Ryan, who the tour was essentially built around, was the least impressive person on the entire tour. You can make that argument. He was bottom three. And I know who the other two were. Okay? The kingdom were the, the lowlights of both of these shows. Both shows grinded to a halt when the kingdom hit the ring. Okay? The first show, night one, Rich, was a fun show until the main event. <laughs> right, until the yeah. dry-ass main event. Everything else on the show landed. Night two, okay? We're plugging along just fine. And then we get that Taven and, and, and Balloon Guy tag match where they put the world's most boring beatdown <laughs> oh on poor, poor Tetsuya oh, Naito. Oh, Naito had to sell that. I'm just like, dude, was, he's got to pull rank. Felt- you know what I mean? Like halfway through that match, just be like, no, 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 no. None of this. I'm done. I'm hitting Dustino. We're, getting, we're going home. This, I'm, I'm not well, doing I mean, this. Like... <laughs> Well, look, I get it. They were building toward the Shingo hot tag. I get it. I get and it. Sh- the Shingo hot tag has become a highlight of every fucking New Japan show there is. Because this guy, it just years of working those Dragon Gate tags. This dude, it just has fire fucking hot tags. So I understand the structure of the match. The structure of the match was smart, right? Naito sells. Shingo comes in and fucking on the hot tag and kills people. Naito scores the pin. LIJ fans are happy. I get it. That's a perfect match structure, okay? I can agent that one, okay? You don't need fucking... We didn't talk about him. We forgot him. Arn Anderson was fired, too. You don't need Arn Anderson in the room to lay that match out, okay? Any any one of us could have laid that one out, okay? But the beatdown was so boring. <laughs> That's what I said. That's why Knights should have just said, all right, Shigo, you're not getting the tag. I'm just hitting the Destino on this geek, and we're getting out of here because I cannot sit here in this fucking, you know, get stomped. 6,000 more times by you know, these guys. It was... Ugh. Ugh, but how good was Shingo on that hot tag? I it mean, was great. It was great. I just, I, it was the, the other... What, what, how long did that match go? That, I, do you, are you looking at the... I have it. Yes, I, that, match was, that match was 57 minutes. No, it was 11 <laughs> minutes and 50 seconds. Oh, my it God. It was the first ever 12-minute match with an 18-minute heat segment. <laughs> That's what minutes. I mean. There's no way there was only 12 minutes. All these times are off by so, at least 20 minutes. So It was so boring. Okay? And that's when that show hit the lull. And then you had the Jay Lethal TK Orion match, which was a fucking disgrace. Okay? Just so boring. Nobody cared. Two and a half stars. Two star special. 
And then uh, the two tag team title matches I thought were fine. They didn't knock my socks off, but I thought they were fine. Yeah, my, my general um, thoughts. Oh, sorry, not to interrupt. But night one, I liked yeah. almost everything I saw from night one, other than the main event. I thought it was a really, really fun yeah. show until that main event. And even the main event had some some times that I, that I enjoyed a little bit. Not not great, but night two, the first half was great. But basically, like you said, until that Shingo, uh, I guess the first half, the first four matches, I should say, and then after yeah, that, it kind of fell off a cliff. And we'll talk about what happened at night two. I think there was a little bit more plan for the main event of night two, but obviously some things happened and that kind of derailed that a little bit. But um, I don't know. Do you, do you want to go kind of match by match here? How, how do you think the best way to kind of cover these without taking yeah we, excruciatingly we, we too can do long? Them. <laughs> yeah. No, we can we can do them quickly. So night one, it was uh, the opener was Marty Skrull and Ren Narita, and the one thing that jumped out at me here was yeah they had a good little match. I mean I I thought Skrull and Narita did well, but were you as surprised as I was how popular Marty Skrull still is among New Japan fans? I mean he had cosplayers in the crowd. Yeah, and, I, people underrate uh, how popular that guy is amongst a yeah. lot of fans. Right, it's it's like maybe in this little nerd circle or whatever, our little bubble, people don't really like him and they don't. Man, those people there. I mean, I, I remember that one time I went to that Ring of Honor show, and half the crowd was wearing Mary's, Marty Scroll shirts, and and his music came on, and half the crowd just went whoop whoop, and I was just like, all right, well, yeah. time lost. Like I, you know, this. I, I mentioned it one time before. I went to like a, a a Raw one time, and and Batista came out afterwards. This was back in like 2006 or whatever, and I hadn't been watching SmackDown all that much. And Batista came out, and the place went fucking unglued. And I was just like, really, Batista? I, I like I kind of got lost on it. And I was like, you know, sometimes you just have to say, yeah, you know, I got lost in it. I'm wrong. I wasn't a part of the the rise. He's not for me. Whatever it is, but Marty is over as fuck. People love him, and and he's he's got the look down, the music. Even though I know you like his original music better, and I do too. It yeah. works, it's yeah. chantable, and he's got a good look, good shirts, and he just keeps it super fucking basic in the matches, which, to me, I don't love because his matches aren't that exciting, but fans love it because they know exactly the spots that you're going to get in every Marty Scroll match. Every Marty Scroll match is going to be the exact same thing. He's going to set up the chicken wing. He's going to do all this. But, like, it's paint by numbers, but, man, it, it attracts people. People love it all across the world. So, yeah, it, like, we can't deny it anymore. We can't just be like, I don't know, Marty. Like, he might not work for you and I, or he might not work for, you know, this general bubble or whatnot, but he is over as fuck. You know, I never deny it. Listen, listen, I never deny it. I like him. I I enjoy watching Marty Skrull. I don't have a problem with him. I enjoy watching him. I get it. Um, But yeah, he's over everywhere. You're dead on about that. You're absolutely right. And he's still over in New Japan. And then we had uh, Zack Sabre Jr. uh, defeating Shota Umino. I damn near went four stars on this. I thought these guys killed it. Zack Sabre Jr. gave him a ton. He gave him, well, he gave him just enough to keep it interesting, I thought. And, um, you know, he could have squashed him, but he did not. And uh, I thought this was a shit ton of fun. What did you think of Sabre Jr. beating Shutem? Yeah. I love this match. And this is the perfect style of that sort of match where we got Zack Sabre Jr. coming in. He's good at these. He, he, Zack Sabre Jr. has done a yeah. lot of these over his career where he's just like, ah, this guy's a chump. Who fucking cares? I'll just play around with him a little bit. And then that guy gets real close. You know what I mean? Like, and then and then Sabre's got to get, oh, okay, now i got to get serious. Now I gotta t-. And then once he gets serious, he gets rid of this guy in you know, not that long a time. But, like, I like that story. I like the idea of you sort of, Thinking that the Shotaminu can't hang with you, but then he hangs with you, and then you got to kind of put him away. So it still establishes that when you can, when you want to put him away, you can. But that the fact that you kind of laid low allowed him to sort of make his right. So I think that benefits both people. So no, I love this match. So actually, probably one of my favorite matches in the entire night one. Yeah, no, I, I can't kill you for that. I think it was a lot of people's favorite match. Um, Kenny Omega is very good at that style of match too. Um, taking a guy who's beneath him in the pecking order and, and making it into a compelling match. But yeah, this was a. A ton of fun. I think we all realize at this point that Aminu is ready. Um, you have see a lot of people questioning when he's going to go on excursion and things like that. So um, he's going to be a real good wrestler. We'll see if he can be a star. But like a lot of these lions, you, could, you know, you know they're going to be good wrestlers. The question is, are they going to be stars or not? Uh, we had Gresham and Liger 
uh, defeating Robbie Eagles and Taiji Ishimori. This, of course, was the flash pin. I listen. How can you not love what you saw here? <laughs> so I mean, great. I love the flash pins. And and you know, before that too, you know, I thought Gresham and Robbie Eagles. You know, they were in the match for five out of the five minutes and twenty-seven seconds that the match you know went on. They had good chemistry together, and and you know, their portion of the match was a lot of fun. And then, of course, they did the flash pin, which the which Cork and Hall went bonkers for that. Taiji Ishimori and Robbie Eagles sold it to perfection. You know, the old uh, slapping the mat, questioning the referees, slapping the ring ropes, going insane. Um, you know, harassing Kevin Kelly on the way out of the ring. Uh, this was just great. I mean, you know, it, because you, you do this a couple times a year, and it's often Liger that they do it with these weird finishes like this that you don't uh, see a ton of. And uh, man, it, it it really you know they've got the title match coming up, and I thought this it was just a brilliant way to set it up. Yeah, I love this match. Love the, love the flash pin. And, and we're going to talk a lot about Gresham and uh, Eagles because those are two guys that I think you and I both agreed, and, and we talked a little bit offline, um, that both of those guys uh, impressed a lot. I, I like Gresham, I thought, this entire weekend. He was he was solid. He's a guy that I don't always – it doesn't always connect with me all that much. I thought this weekend he, he was very good. And Robbie Eagles continues. We, we talked about it a little bit before, the comfort level uh, of him, you know, now that he's been there a few times and kind of knows the lay of the land. He – he he was awesome this entire weekend, and he didn't do a ton of he didn't do a bunch of stuff that 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 was really like giant highlights or whatnot, but just like the in between stuff, the reaction that he makes when 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 Taiji gets pinned, like just the confidence level of him walking out there. He's got a swagger to him. He's got a a look like he belongs and 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 a feel like he belongs. And yeah, I think he really impressed. But uh, Gresham too. We'll talk about him a little bit more. I think on the next night. Yeah, um, they both had singles matches. So yeah, let's hold those thoughts until we get to that. We had uh, David Finley, Juice Robinson, Toa Hanare, and Toma Akihama. They beat Girls of Destiny and the Briscoes. This was simply to uh, to build the friction between Girls of Destiny and Briscoes because we now know that's going to be a match at MSG. So, um, you know, decent match. Nothing wrong with it, but uh, really just to set up the angle at the end of the match with the pushing and shoving and, and the fact that these two teams are uh, now both going to be champions and facing each other in MSG. Have any other thoughts on nah, that? No, that was, yeah, that's all that match was, really. All right, so we got our yearly cheeseburger challenge of the Never Open Weight titles. Cheeseburger, Colt Cabana, and Delirious losing to Taguchi, Makabe, and Yano. And if your expectations were just tempered to the comedy that you were going to see and, and whatnot, then I think that this was fine. And I didn't have I liked a problem it. with this. Yeah. I thought it was good comedy. So. It was good fun. I mean, there were there was you know obviously Yano and, and Cabana going and squaring off and doing their stuff. Delirious being you know met. I I actually enjoyed this match. I because I went in knowing. I mean, look at the fucking names that are in this list. Like, of course, this is what this yeah. match is going to be. So if you go at it like that and don't think, ah, let's see what these guys have in store for me. If you know that it's just going to be Taguchi playing with his butt and Yano fucking around with ring pads, then it's fine. Like you know you know what I mean. That's exactly what it was. Uh, you mentioned Togi Makabe though. I think that's wrong because I he was not in this match, right? I didn't see <laughs> did Togi Makabe do anything in this. I don't remember Joe. What name one thing Togi Makabe did in this match? I listen. It's the Togi Makabe special. <laughs> did he do? You know, he's just did he was he even on the apron. I don't think he was there. Like he he, he looks across the ring. He sees <laughs> no, no, cheeseburger, he wasn't there. No. Cold Cabana, Delirious, and he says, well, "Fuck this! I'm not taking a bump." Did he even tag? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember a single second of Togi Makabe in this match. Listen. He's 44 years old or whatever. I appreciate it, man. That's that's a good hustle. That's a great hustle. He's got snack cakes in the locker room. (laughs) 
He's probably banging a housewife after he leaves the Mad show. Mad of my heart. He likes sweets and housewives. Uh... Yeah, I mean, you know... I, 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 am, you know, the, I am also the Unchained Gorilla, apparently. <laughs> you are, yes. You are also the Unchained Gorilla. <laughs> I would eat snacks and we got, that's a, yeah. <laughs> We just gave you another nickname. You are you are now the Unchained Gorilla, Rich Crage. Okay, so there's another one um, for your... Uh, Unchained Gorilla 2, Rich Crage. As we move on to Willow Spray versus Dalton Castle... Uh, I've seen a wide variety of um, of reviews for this one. I fall somewhere in the middle. A lot of people were throwing, you know, four and a quarter at this, four stars. I didn't think it was that good, but I thought it was a really solid match, hard hitting. I think Dalton Castle did what he could, and I enjoyed the hell out of it by the end of it. I thought Castle, you know, he threw on some holds when he was on offense. Guys, you know, he's not in great shape right now. And I thought that physically he did way more than I thought he was going to do. And Willow Spray's Willow Spray. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world. So I enjoyed the shit out of this. But I saw some people saying that it was horrendous. Uh, where did you fall on this? I'm not one of the horrendous ones. I enjoyed the hell out of this. And I think this was when this was over, I just kind of said, man, Will Ospreay, this guy, we, we mentioned it last week. We said this guy can roll out of bed and get a four-star match. He can. I mean, this is like, he has taken, Dalton Castle, who's a guy, and we saw him the next night too. I mean, Dalton can... He can't do much. He can do a very little bit of, uh, uh, you know, very minor amount of stuff. He can not really do a lot of what he was able to do before. He's obviously has to work at a much slower pace. He's still kind of getting himself back into shape. And Will Ospreay maximized every inch that he got out of Dalton Castle in this match. And I think Castle, to his credit, stepped up a little bit as well. But I was super impressed with Castle in this match and more crediting Will Ospreay just because, like, this dude, no matter who he's there in the ring with, I mean, this is this is really an all-time, you know, work for, for Will Ospreay here because there there is not much left to Castle, and he got every bit of him in this match. I, I went four stars with it. I really, really liked it. And and it's very sad to see Dalton Castle come out because he's just, like, he's got this, like, belt. Like, he's got, like, 18 knee braces. He's kind of chubby now. Like, it doesn't quite work. But he, I you know, I, I'll, I'll give him a little credit, too. But, yeah, I think Will Ospreay worked his ass off to make this match as good as it is. And, and, and yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. Nice and hard-hitting, as you said. There were your slow parts here and there, but I think all the slow parts kind of worked, and they built up to the bigger parts. So, no, I was I was two thumbs up on this one for sure. Yeah, a very different kind of match than Sabre and Uminu, but I think those were the two best matches on the show. It just depends, uh, you know, what style of match you preferred in that case. I think the work was cleaner, obviously, in the Sabre-Uminu match because there were times in this where, where, where Castle was visibly struggling. But um, it, it was it was hard hitting, and at times it was a slugfest, and I think that helped. Uh, we had Jeff Cobb retaining the television title. He beats Hiroki Goto. Um, Goto has been in this spot every year on these shows. We've seen him over deliver against Punishment Martinez. We've seen him over deliver against Beer City Bruiser. He's finally in there with an opponent with a pulse, and I think he had a match right about at that caliber, but not as many people are talking about it because he kind of expected this one to be good, whereas the other two, he kind of pulled a good match out of his ass. But I thought this was fine. I didn't think it was as good as the uh, Punishment Martinez or, or, or maybe even the Beer City Bruiser match, but I didn't think it was that far behind, and I really liked the closing stretch. And I thought, uh, you know, Goto using his offense... His, uh, I love his nasty offense that I talk about all the time. And hitting some of those moves on a big man like Cobb was impressive. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, again, I don't think it was a super blow-away match, but it was definitely an enjoyable bout. And at this point in the show, I thought everything was at minimum uh, fun. Yeah, this one I probably didn't like as much as you did, but 
similarly, like, it was fine. Like, it was it was pretty good, and there was enough offense by both guys. And I think the goal was really to make Cobb sort of look good in this match. And I think Goto did a good job of that. I think Goto's offense was nice. So, yeah, like, I, I think I put it squarely very, very behind, you know, Osprey uh, and Castle as well as the, the Omino Zack Sabre Jr. But, uh, you know, do I want to say third? I could probably put it a healthy third but behind those two. So, which isn't bad. I mean, again, like you said, that most of this show up to this point have been pretty good. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know where you stand on it, like, in terms of, like, stars or whatnot. But I think... Judging by the way you described it, I probably am a little less than you on this one, but still pretty solid. I go match. like three and a half or something. Yeah, I'm probably about a three or so, so I'm a little bit behind on you on that, which is, which is fine, though. But, like, I'll take a good, you know, 13-minute three-star match. I got no problem with that. So I think they did – both guys have pretty inventive offense, too, and I think they did a good job of it. I These are two guys that I think if they had another match and another time, I think would be capable of doing a lot more. I, I like the combo of these two guys. I will say that. It was just puzzling the next night when Goto's pinning Cobb. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I it's I don't understand that. Like, okay, um, I guess he's gonna get another shot at the ROH TV title at some point. I mean, Dalton Castle's right there to beat. Y- you know what I mean? It's I get you don't want to beat Goto two nights in a row. You're not gonna beat the Never Champ. So the fact that they didn't pin Dalton Castle the next night and they chose to pin Cobb tells me that this feud must continue. And I don't know if that's the case. Maybe Cobb should have beat someone else on night one. I I don't know. Am I thinking too much on that? I did, I just I thought it was weird. Yeah, no, that was a little um, strange. I, I had the same mostly because we 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 come from the 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 aspect of anything that happens in the New Japan Ring, any pinfall, anything matters. But maybe with the Ring of Honor influence, it it, it doesn't matter as much <laughs> as it would in normal well, circumstances. But I have I a know. feeling we're getting I have a feeling we're getting Goto Cobb and MSG based on that pin. But with Cobb beating Goto one on one the night before, I mean that's just weird to me. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I maybe it seems a little backwards. Yeah, it seems like that the, there should awkward. have been a, a tag match the night prior, and then they have this match here, and then maybe I, yes. I don't know. But yeah, it didn't. It, it was a little strange. Yes. So we talked about the main event already. That was Tanahashi, Lethal, and Okada defeating the Kingdom in the least interesting match on night one. I just, you know, depending where you stand on the the, the six man never thing, if you're into the comedy or not which I kind of just blocked that stuff from my mind because I don't care about it. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I thought the kingdom did nothing to stand out here. And um, and this was weird too. Like, why isn't TKO Ryan pinning Jay Lethal in this match to set up the next night? I Some of these decision, these finishes were just weird to me. I I, I don't know. Did, did, did that come off weird to you? Because I'm watching this and I'm like, well, why isn't TKO Ryan, why aren't they building heat for the world title match next night? Yeah, there was really nothing building that next night, other than on commentary they were mentioning, oh, TKO Ryan's going to face Jay Lethal the next night, but yeah, in the match itself, nothing really built to that, which I think probably hurt the next night when they come out and they're having this match, like, there was nothing that made you really anticipate it or whatnot, so they, what, it was a little perplexing, there was a few weird booking decisions there where, like, again, and that's like, even if you said that there was some New Japan politics or whatnot, like, New Japan doesn't have to get involved at all. Just have TKO Ryan pin Jay Lethal. Like, Okada and, and Tanahashi have no part in that. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been the simple yeah, solution. Yeah, that's not a New they, Japan yeah, they, thing. Right, right. I, you know, and Balloon Guy took the pin. It's not like he beat O'Ryan, but um, I don't know. Match did nothing for me. And then we go to night two. Uh, Jonathan Gresham and Toa Hanare uh, defeat Taka Mishinoku and Zack Sabre Jr. If you're a uh, grappling pervert, you got plenty of Gresham and Mishinoku here uh, grappling it up for you. Toa Hanare is a guy, I mean, he needs to be pushed. I, I don't, look, I'm not saying it needs to be tomorrow. I'm not saying it needs to, he needs to go 7-2 and two in the G1. Um, but th- this guy, to me, has the potential to uh, basically be the next Tomohiro Ishii. 
I, I mean, he's just, he's a fucking, he's a little tank. I love the way he works. I love his tenacity. I love his ferocity. I just love watching Toa Hanare, and I, I think he can be a, uh, a top-level wrestler. Um, but let's talk about Gresham. Uh, we said we'd do it here, and we'll do Eagles in the next match. Uh, to me, these two performances um, and the way he got over with the Corrigan crowd, there's no way this didn't earn more tours. There's just no way that he did not earn more tours. I think he belongs in best of the Super Juniors. Um, and I think he is a guy who they should sporadically bring back. And uh, and, and look, the, the, we talked about the junior division here being a little bit depleted now with guys moving up and guys leaving the company. There's spots there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think a guy like Gresham and then the guy we're going to talk about next um, on this tour earned more tours. What do you think of Gresham? Absolutely. Yeah, Gresham, I thought he was – I really was impressed by him this entire – uh, weekend and and like his in ring was about the same a, 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 as it usually is and I'm kind of you know in between on it sometimes I really like it sometimes I don't but I think his connection to the crowd it really stood out to me he was able to kind of yeah. project to the crowd they were able to kind of get into him they were into his style and that's really what's going to be key for him and that's really something I was curious on is he going to go there and do his grappling to crickets and no one's going to care about him but they didn't they they cared everything that he did and they were they were with him and and getting that win like we correctly predicted he would get the win over Taka uh, on this night too which I think is going to lead to of course the best of the Super Juniors birth and then, yeah, hopefully a few more tours after that because I think he really acclimated himself well. And, yeah, I think he'd be a good asset uh, to the junior division. So so I'm all for it. And, yeah, I think he, he impressed this weekend for sure. So Marty Skrull defeats Robbie Eagles. And I loved this match. What a cool matchup, too. Uh, what is Just on paper, what a cool matchup. You know, it's yeah. just like – I mean, it's yeah, something absolutely. that they, they didn't have to do, but I'm glad they did because it was just like a really fun singles match that – you know, there's yeah. no reason to have these two guys face each other in a singles match, second from the top or second from the bottom on night two with Honor Rising, but they did, and it, it, it turned out to be pretty awesome. So, I don't know if it was the best match on the tour, but it was my favorite. I adored this match. I thought these guys worked so well together. I thought this match was so much fun. I thought both guys were great in the match, and we just talked about Gresham. I think Robbie Eagles is another guy. I mean, he just, like you already mentioned it, I don't want to repeat the same points. He just looked like a different wrestler on this tour than he did on his first tour. Um, you know, and, and he looked more confident, and like you said, I think he just he looked like he belonged. Yeah, he's got the chest out a little bit more. Yeah. He's working the crowd a little bit more. He's got that head held high. Like, he wasn't doing that there, before. Been he, there, done that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, I like the tag team with Ishimori. I like that they have continued that tag team from the first tour. And... He's a guy who I think belongs in best as Super Juniors. I think he will be in it. And I'm telling you right now, on February 27th, if Robbie Eagles is in best of Super Juniors, I guarantee you, write it down, okay? Uh, fucking record this, this piece of audio and play it back if I'm wrong. He will have multiple standout matches in best of Super Juniors if he's in it. I- I'm telling you right now. I've seen Robbie Eagles have too many great matches in Australia. And when he and, and this little eight-minute match where I thought he went out there and had a, a super fun match with Marty Skrull, you get him in best of Super Juniors, put him in a main event or two, okay, uh, with the top guy in his block or you know whoever it might be, and he is going to tear the house down at least a couple of times in best of Super Juniors. I'm telling you. And if they ever have the guts to do it, I don't think they will because they don't book this way. If he ever, if I'm running things. He gets a never title shot against Willow Spray. Whoa, you're ready to go all in. Now, now listen, the reason yeah. I do this, yeah, yeah. I do it third or fourth from the top on a bigger show, and I tell them to go have the matches they had in Australia. And if they do that, 
you have just made a junior star in Robbie Eagles because he has uncanny uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, chemistry with Will Ospreay where these guys have match of the year level matches every time they step into the ring together. Mm-hmm. If you let them do that on a big show, okay, and he loses, of course, he's going to lose the match. You're making a star. And Will Ospreay loves to make stars. He made Robbie Eagles, he, he you know, put Robbie Eagles over in Australia, you know, at, at the end of that two match series and, and helped propel him to the next level. He's the one who got Robbie Eagles booked into New Japan. You know, Will Ospreay would love to help make that guy a star. He'd probably beg to lose the match, okay? But, you know, you do that match, and they're never doing it. So I don't even know why I'm wasting my time with it. But that would be a... You would make Robbie Eagles a junior star if you did that match. But he will have multiple standout matches in a best of the Super Juniors if he's in it. Any other thoughts on Skrull Eagles? No, you, you summed it up there, man. I think it was good. Uh, good, good, good match. You know, it was only a little, little under ten minutes, eight fifty-five, and I think just the perfect time. And, and like I said, I like these little singles matches here and there. This is not some, a match that they had to book, but they did, and, and I think it, it, it benefited both guys. Marty Skrull looked good in, 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 in you know, in, in victory, and and Rob Eagles, I think, in defeat looked pretty solid too, and it put him on the level of all you're saying here is this guy is kind of on this guy's level. He's not quite there quite yet, but he's on this guy's level, and I think it's an important step for Robbie Eagles as well. So yeah, to, uh, another really great uh, booking of this guy the entire weekend, and really good uh, performances by both guys, Marty Skrull and, and Robbie Eagles all weekend. So. so at Cabana and Yano defeating Cheeseburger and Delirious, um, this match got changed after the result of... Um, of the uh, never open weight six man on the first night, it was going to be Cabana Yano and then I'm sorry, Cabana Cheeseburger and Delirious defending or facing three young lions, potentially defending the, the six man titles against them, but they lost. And then Cabana sort of split with Cheeseburger and Delirious at the end of the never match the night before. So we had uh, Cabana and Yano, his new friend Yano, who he befriended at the end of the previous match. What am I doing here? Uh, what did you think of this <laughs> It was fine. It was 10 minutes of these guys fucking around, which is, is fine. I, I didn't expect anything more, and I got exactly what I expected. So if you do that, you, you come away going, that was that was okay. There's worse ways to spend 10 minutes of your life, so it was fine. Yeah, nobody needs the storyline recap of... Uh, of <laughs> yeah, Yano and Cabana's friendship, budding friendship, but uh, yeah. Although Cabana's coming back for New Japan Cup, so how yeah, about that? Yeah, that's true. Um, Hiroki Goto and Will Ospreay defeat Dalton Castle and Jeff Cobb. We talked about this. I thought the decision for Goto to pin Cobb was weird coming off the heels of the night before, but I thought this was a damn good tag team match and uh, before the show went completely south. What'd you think of this one? Yeah, I, li- I like this Goto-Ospreay team. I think that, that could... That could go someplace. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'd love this idea, and I hope I, 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 I'm still, I've still, we've t- talked about it as long as we've been doing this show, is that just putting together random dudes and having them go for heavyweight tag titles every so often it would be awesome. Like, it, whenever Will Ospreay does drop the Never Openweight title and he's not doing anything or Goto's not doing anything, just stuff like that. And Goto is the perfect guy. I think he can work with so many different guys. I forget who it was a few weeks ago that we said that Goto could team with and, and go on, like, a little heavyweight title run or whatever, or at least def- go for the titles or whatnot a few times. He's a guy that seems like a perfect utility player for that. So, no, I, I like that team of Goto and Osprey in particular. I think they play off each other pretty well, too. So, no, I enjoyed that. And, and Castle looked uh, looked okay. He looked like he was a little sore from the night prior. Uh, so he definitely didn't do as much as I was kind of you know, he he definitely was lesser than he was the night prior, and then I thought Jeff Cobb was 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 pretty solid again. But Cobb is still that guy that like, you know, the Hangman Page match at, at whatever what was that? I'm blanking on it. Final Battle, right? Was the name of the show. Where am yeah. I right? Final Battle, right? Where he I was just Hangman like, Page, yeah. 
yeah, you're like, fuck, that dude's a star. But then there's some other nights where Jeff Cobb just kind of comes out and he's just Jeff Cobb. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, man, yeah, you're not a star. Yeah. Like, be a star, man. You're a star. But, like, some of those nights you just see it and you feel it and he feels it and everyone knows it. And then there's other nights where he's just a guy. And, unfortunately, yeah. on this tour, he felt just kind of like a guy to me. And especially in this tag match, he was like a guy. Because Will Ospreay was like this dynamo, Godo's Godo. And then it was just like Jeff Cobb's just Jeff Cobb. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. just there. Yeah. Jeff Cobb versus Travis Banks progress WrestleMania weekend. I mean, that's another one where it's like, eh, it's Jeff Cobb, you know? And, um, you know, that Hangman Page match, I don't know what got into him, but if he could somehow bottle that. Yeah, I don't know what. Um, he was a man that he was a star. He was a legend, but yeah. Just just incredible. But uh, we talked about Shingo and Tetsuya Naito defeating Matt Taven and, and Balloon Guy. Um, you know, um, not much else to say on that. We talked about Lethal and TK Orion. TK Orion just blowing the biggest opportunity of his career to really make himself a star um, it, with a very uh, nondescript, nothing performance. He can get mad on Twitter all he wants. He can he can vanity search people. I think on top of everything else, he's proved that he's a thin-skinned fucking geek too. I mean, he's he's vanity searching. What does he expect to see? I mean, he didn't do well here. You know, <laughs> it, people, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Does he think people are going to be throwing roses at his feet? I mean, the guy wasn't good, you know, and it's very thin skinned. He has to be able to take criticism and, you, you know, you don't vanity search and then complain about what you see. It's it's if you're going to do that, you got to eat the shit. I mean, you know, that's just the way it goes. And, you know, for him to be quote tweeting people and everything else that are that are that, that don't like. I mean, come on, guy. You know, that's, again, unbefitting uh, of a star as well. Don't do that. You know, and you weren't good. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, quote tweet people all you want and vanity search all day long. You weren't good here, okay? You showed people nothing on the biggest stage because if you were good here, people would say, do you think people want you to be bad? No one wants to watch bad matches, you geek. Okay, we want you to be good. We want you to go out there and kill it with Jay Lethal because Jay Lethal's not exactly fucking, you know, Kenta Kabashi either. We'd like you to carry him to something that we can enjoy here, okay? So, you know, we don't want to dislike you. The fact is, you didn't deliver. Okay? So enough of the vanity searching. And maybe, you know, take a look at the tape and watch the match and try to figure out why not a single person in Cork and Hall gave a shit about your dry-ass boring match. How about you do that with your time on the airplane back home to America instead of worrying about vanity searching your name and quote-tweeting people because you stunk? How about that? How about you watch the tape and figure out why you couldn't get over I think that would be a better use of your time than vanity searching people, okay? And Rich, I put out some tweets about TK Ryan because it was bait. I was begging him to vanity search and quote tweet me, but he didn't do it. He didn't. He, I, he stayed away. Yeah, he stayed because away I had much. this rant ready because I saw him do it to other people, and he wasn't going to get away with it twice. And I set the trap, but he didn't take it. So maybe Balloon Guy or fucking his new pal Hiroshi Tanahashi got in his ear and told him to cut the shit. I don't know what happened, okay? But the fact of the matter is, okay, he needs to go back and watch this match and try to figure out how, why he didn't get over. Okay? Because that's on you, pal. That's not on any of us. It's not our fault that you bored us to death twice when put in a prime position on these shows. When there's other wrestlers here who would have loved to have been in your position. Okay? Jonathan Gresham and Robbie Eagles working openers and working circles around you. They would have loved to have been in that spot. And you're out here shitting the bed. Quote tweeting people. Get lost. Go out there and have a good match once in your life before you start quote tweeting people and complaining 
that they're getting on your case. And I hope people, I hope someone sends them this audio too. Okay? Uh, you know, go out there and have a good match once in your life. That's not a ladder match with the bucks in it for once in your life. And then you can quote tweet people and complain when they're criticizing you. Or you can listen to those people and realize, okay, that you flew over to Japan and were put in the best position possible to deliver and you didn't deliver. TK Ryan. Get lost. Who is he to be vanity searching and quote that, that That's the funny thing, too, is it's like, I mean... You're lucky we know your name. <laughs> right. It's not like you have a reputation of, like, delivering top, top-tier stuff, and it's like, oh, that's not good enough for you. It's like, I mean, no. <laughs> like, you're never... You've done really nothing in this business quite yet, and yeah, this was a huge moment. You, you really... Yeah, it just didn't deliver. I think it's... To me, it's almost... Wor- like, I would have preferred him just, like, be ambitious and shit the bed than go out there and just do, like, training school basic stuff like he was doing. And that's what it was. It was, like, basic heel heat stuff. Like I said, playing to the crowd in certain ways. Like, there was just, like, just generic-ass shit. And that's what is almost a little bit more disappointing to me is that it was, like, dude, really? Like, that's the level that you're going to bring here? And, you know, I don't want to completely... I don't think Jay Lethal was great on this tour either. He's a guy that, that can ebb and flow a lot of times, too. I think he was just fine on this tour, but not not necessarily great. But he's not a guy that's going to rise to the occasion. You have to take him to that occasion. And and TK obviously did not. So, Hey, I've seen Jay Lethal have great matches. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, he has a reputation. He didn't of, have him here. Doesn't always deliver, but he does deliver. TK, we, so, don't, we don't yeah. know yet. Yeah. I'm not, look, TK O'Ryan, look, he wasn't he doesn't in there get with the benefit Okada. of the doubt. Yeah, he doesn't get the benefit right. of the doubt. I, yeah. I get it, okay? He wasn't in there with Okada. I understand. But here's all I know about TK O'Ryan, Mr. Vanity Searcher. Here's what I know about him. He went into that match, and nobody cared about it, and he didn't make anybody care about it. And if you really want to get down to the, to the, to the bare bones of this, that's what pro wrestling is, making people give a shit about what's going on. And this match just did not work and did not deliver. And, um, you know, instead of being mad at other people for it, you know, learn from it. Get better. Um, and then we had the two tag team title matches. Gorillas of Destiny win the titles back from Evil and Sonata. This has sort of become, Gato has done this before, New Japan um, has done this before, where someone will win the tag team titles at Wrestle Kingdom and then quickly lose them. We saw Goto and Shibata, for example, several years ago. Same thing, they win the titles at Wrestle Kingdom and then lose them a month later or whatever. Same thing here, fifth title reign for Gorillas of Destiny. And this, of course, sets up the title versus, I don't know if it's title versus title, but champion versus champion in MSG against the Briscoes, who successfully defended against David Ro- David Finley and Juice Robinson. We worked ourselves into a shoot last week and thought we would see a tag team title change, uh, at least with the ROH belts. The tag title change came with the New Japan set of titles. Uh, eh, I don't really care that they changed the titles here. Evil and Sonata this way can be in the New Japan Cup. Uh, I'd rather see them in the New Japan Cup than Tama Tonga and Tongaloa, that's for sure. And I guess there's a little bit of a cachet to having a champion versus champion match in MSG with the Gorillas of Destiny and Briscoes. And I think on their best night, those two teams could have a good match. So, yeah. uh, how about these two matches as a package? I thought these matches were fine. Neither one of them knocked my socks off. I could have done without the crowd brawling in the first match. You know how I feel about the crowd brawling. Yeah, oh um, my god, it went but, on too long too. Just way too long. Alright, if you want to do a crowd brawl... For few, a minute or two, I get it, but it was like five, ten minutes. I'm like, all right, let's get in. Let's do this. Come on, Jesus Christ, too much, yeah. too much crowd brawling. 
but I mean, I thought both matches were fine, and and I, I don't know. The previous two matches really sucked the life force out of me. It would have yeah. been nice if it would have been nice if one of these matches were great, and I think they both had a chance. Um, but both of them were kind of just there. Rich, are the Briscoe brothers completely done? Um, I mean, they're not, not like to- bad wrestlers. I, that's not what I'm saying. But I, what I mean, are they done as an elite level? You can count on them to have I a think great so. match team. Yeah, I, I think so. Which which stinks, but they've been doing it for like twenty, you know, twenty years now. Yeah, yeah, point. legitimately twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, so almost, I mean, and yeah. like, and like a very hard style. It's not like these guys were kind of you know coasting for the first five years and then kind of got like they've been going balls to the wall for twenty years now. No, they're. Yeah, I think you're probably they're they're just fine now. You know what I mean? They're just okay. They're not like, I, but I still every single time I see them on the name, I'm like, all oh, the Briscoes here we go. Like because I had twenty years of of examples of them going out there and delivering big time stuff and, and doing big time things but yeah it, it's yeah I, I do you think I guess the heel what we're gonna have to do part, do you think that do you think they're working they've subdued them do you think the heel act has something to do with it do you think uh, if they turn babyface which they're probably gonna do again at some point I think it's more I, I don't know if it's chicken and egg I don't know if it's because we are we, we can't do what we used to do it's better for heels than like because we're heel like I, I don't know I, I feel like even if they're babyfaces we don't we're not gonna see a huge spike for them. It so, feels like so you think it's like a symptom cause kind of thing? Like, Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it... Yeah, I, I wonder if one made the other... Po- you know, hey, look, we can't right. do what we were able to do as, as faces, so we're probably better off being heels from here on out. If, if or we don't want to do that because we're hurting. Exactly. And, right, right, right. right. And, and they know so, the expectations of them as a babyface team is bouncing all over the place and going through tables and doing all that sort of crazy shit, but that, their reputation as heels are kind of slow down and, and, and chill yeah. out a little bit and brawl and kind of walk and brawl. And stuff, which is it's fine. Like it, it, I think that what what it is is we now have to adjust our expectations when we see the Briscoes on there and go, okay, here's what we're gonna get. Because I'm still guilty of saying, oh, the Briscoes, here we go, and it's like it never lives up to the, the what I think it's gonna be. You know, it, it's been now sure two you're years. waiting for a you're waiting for a 2007 Noah match, and you're not getting that. Yeah, I want a ladder war, you know, level of 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 you know efforts, and they're not gonna do that because they don't need to. It's it's not what they are anymore. So they're a heel team. Um, they're gonna beat you down. Um, they'll do a flashy high spot now and then. You know, but yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, um, we've had like a year and a half of this now where they're just not hitting their previous ceilings is I think what. Yeah, right, right. So now it's, now it's time for us to adjust our expectations, not necessarily to criticize, you know what I mean? I don't want to criticize them, but because they're obviously, they're, they're toning their style down a little bit to, to accommodate their bodies and all that sort of stuff. So I get it. It's it's fine. It's just now we have to sort of adjust what we're doing here. But, uh, this match, I think, I think there was more planned for the end, but of course the David Finley thing happened where he, he came off the top rope. Uh, landed on his shoulder, dislocated his shoulder, and then it felt like they immediately went home because they they really did. And I don't know if that was supposed to be the finish, but it felt like it got rushed a little bit there towards the end. So I do wonder what was going to happen in those last few minutes uh, uh, of that match because that might have wrote you know maybe maybe taken it up a little bit more of a notch because like it was kind of just like all right all right all right here we go and then we got to the closing stretch then the Finley injury happened he's laying on the ring you know screaming in pain or whatnot Sinclair has to go to everybody to kind of tell him what's up and then they just go right to the finish so. It kind of ended on a down note too, so I do wonder if maybe if, if Finley had not gotten hurt, that there'd be a few more um, minutes in that match that might have stepped it up a little bit or made it a little bit better. But as it was, it was it was fine. So New Japan Cup, um, we're running a little short on time, and we've got some more topics to get to. Do you want to go ahead and plug the contest for this, and then maybe we'll talk about it in detail next week? Uh, yeah, let's do that. So uh, New Japan Cup, uh, of course, uh, we are doing a uh, prediction contest here at uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com. So you can uh, go to the website. Uh, you can just scroll down to Contests. Uh, you sign up at VoicesOfWrestling.com. You'll click the contest link. 
Uh, we're doing it on a third-party site as well, so you just have to sign up for that site, and then it's pretty easy to put your prediction in. Uh, you can see what other people have been predicting as well. Uh, if you need a link, it's also pinned on our Twitter account, at Voices Wrestling. Uh, prizes are to be announced right now. We're still kind of working on securing some of those, but right now it's for glory and bragging rights, so that's you know that, that's still important, too. You get we'll, we'll talk about you on this show. We'll, we'll say if you're good, and we'll say if you're bad or whatnot, so there's always good stuff there. But, Joe, uh, as we record this, and at like literally as I was talking about the Finley injury, I don't know if you saw this come across, uh, but David Finley is out of the New Japan Cup because of his shoulder injury. So perfect timing. <laughs> kind of figured they would do that. Have they replaced him yet? Uh, nothing yet. It just says full press release here. Uh, let me. This just came across. So let's. Um, I'm surprised. Usually we would stop recording and then immediately this would come across. Uh, just as David Finley injured his left shoulder on the uh, February 23rd uh, during his match at Cork and Hall. Uh, as a result, he will not participate in the New Japan Cup as originally planned. The date of his return is yet undecided. Uh, we are truly sorry to all the fans who were looking forward to seeing David Finley's matches. I mean, I like David Finley, but it's, it's, it's all right. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't think people are canceling yeah. plans to go to the show because right, like, uh, David Finley. Yeah. I mean, you don't really have to <laughs> apologize there, New Japan. It's fine. Like, it, it's cool. Uh, yeah. I'm not but, sure how many people would have noticed if you slipped <laughs> Ren Narita in there, you know? I, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it says additionally David Finley's replacement in the New Japan Cup is also undecided, so we don't know quite yet who, uh, who is replacing David Finley. Look, they got a million bodies they can throw into that match, so that's not a big deal from that perspective. But, um, yeah, he was supposed to take on Tenzon. Um, you think he could have won that? I, I don't know. Um, the winner was going to face Tanahashi. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. No, I think that he, he could have beaten Tenzan. Tenzan yeah, he could have beaten Tenzan. Yeah. And you know, you could argue that would have been his biggest New Japan win, beating a guy like Tenzan. So uh, he's out though. So Tenzan's probably going to beat Ren Narita or something like that. They'll throw someone in there, and uh, maybe uh, Ayato Yoshida is hanging around somewhere. Uh, they could throw him in that spot if he's not already booked with K Dojo. Uh, so they'll get someone in there for Finley. But uh, let's do the New Japan Cup next week because we've got too much to get to here. And um, we've got to look at the 46th, 47th anniversary show, which is going to happen before we record next. Because I think that's an interesting show. We've got uh, Jay White against Will Ospreay in the main event. Non-title match. Champion versus champion. We've seen matches similar to this, where Ospreay wrestled um, Okada in the main event of this show last year. We've seen Tiger Mask W against Okada. We've seen Kota Ibushi versus Okada in 2014 on the anniversary show. What do you make of this? I mean, obviously, Jay White has to win, but um, what do you see coming out of this? Do you think this is a chance for for, for Willow Spray and Jay White to have, uh, you know, a phenomenal match that maybe, uh, you know, th- th- can that help get Ospreay to another level? Or the opposite? There's been a lot of criticism of Jay White not delivering big matches. If he has a great match here against Ospreay, does that help Jay White more than it helps Will Ospreay? Yeah, that, that's actually yeah, that, that's actually my read on it. Is is, is this you know I and I, this is what they usually do is they'll do kind of like a not necessarily a junior, but kind of this out of nowhere guy, this out of nowhere yeah. champion versus you know the big time champion or whatever on these anniversary shows. It's always really great. Like I love it's one of my favorite shows of the entire year because it's just different. Yeah. It's unique. You get Tiger Mask, you get Kota Bushi, as you said, you get all those different guys. You know in in. Uh, in the main event slots or whatever, they might be the same person, but uh, you know, anyway, but uh, this one, I, I'm looking forward to this one because yeah, there has been that criticism of, okay, the character's cool. The crowd's reactions kind of interesting with Jay white, but I haven't seen him deliver a great match yet. I haven't seen that great. I haven't seen that match where it's just like, yeah, this dude's good. This guy's awesome. Like this guy can, can really, can really hang with the top tops of new Japan. And that's a great opportunity for it. It can go one of two ways though. It could go. I mean, cause especially when you're in there with a Will Ospreay, 
Will Ospreay does not have bad matches. You know what I mean? Like, when's the last truly awful Will Ospreay match you've seen? It's it, It's been quite a while. So this is a huge opportunity for Jay White to either have an incredible match with Will Ospreay, which is not very difficult to do, and would raise, you know, Jay White's specter a little bit, but then also... Does Jay White then not deliver in this big spot? And that also could maybe be a, like, okay, maybe this guy isn't quite ready for the spot. Maybe this guy isn't up to the working standard of everything else. So I'm fascinated by the result of this. And, and Will Ospreay, I don't think he could do anything but help him. You, you know what I mean? Like, there's no yeah. there's no downside for him. He either has an incredible match with Jay White or he hangs with Jay White. And, like, I just think the sky's the limit for Will Ospreay this year. And this is just yet another example of, of that happening. So I, I cannot wait for this match just to see how it kind of comes and, and kind of the talk of it afterwards and, and the reaction of what sort of happens when it's all said and done. There's LIJ and a six man on the semi main against Tanahashi Okada and Goto that obviously can tear the house down. Uh, there's a junior title match, of course, which is Taiji Ishimori defending against Jushin Thunder Liger, which was set up with that flash pin and Ishimori. The story here is like, he kind of asked for this. Liger was minding his own business, doing commentary and Ishimori got in his face and challenged him to a match. Yeah, which makes sense. Liger, he got embarrassed and he wants to prove I'm mm-hmm. better than this old fucking asshole. So let's go. Yeah. yeah. And then Liger embarrasses him in the tag. And, and now there's this seed of doubt. And uh, of course, Ishimori's going to win this. But man, did they find a way to make this, you know, super interesting. Um, you know, any Liger match is going to have some intrigue, but they've really turned it up a notch. And this is like a, you know, arguably, you know, aside from the main event, the most anticipated match on the show now. And then we've got um, Shingo and Bushi defending the junior tag titles against Sho and Yo. Shingo and Bushi put uh, Desperado and Kanemaru sort of in the rearview mirror by beating them definitively last time once and for all. Sho and Yo uh, won a match on the undercard to firmly entrench themselves as... Or do I have that backwards? Did Sho and Yo beat Despi and Kanemaru? It's getting late. Um, um, let me, yes, let me, let me double-check that. They, I think you're right. I, I think you're yeah, right on the second yeah, one. Yeah, it was. It was Sho and Yo beating Desperado and Kanemaru, and then Shingo and Bushi came out and went nose-to-nose with them. That's what it was. So that was kind of an eliminator match there. And uh, Sho and Yo uh, are the, the clear-cut number one contenders, and they will challenge Shingo and Bushi for the junior tag titles. That should be great. And then we've got a bunch of tags. Uh, Dragon Lee is coming back. He is in a 10-man tag on this on this show. And um, what's notable there is there's a lot of speculation hmm. that Hiromu yeah. could show back up uh, based on the wacky percentage math he's been doing. The Cubs fan uh, actually broke down the math, and uh, he would hit uh, 1,000% uh, ready because he's been doing it uh, percentage-wise uh, uh, he was at like 940% or something at last check. And if you do the math based on the calendars, the date of this show would equal when he's a thousand percent, which is a little weird and can't be more than, co- it has to be more than coincidental. So it sure seems like with Dragon Lee booked that maybe Dragon Lee scores a fall in that match over Taka, who's sticking out like a sore thumb on the other side. And then uh, Hiromu maybe comes out and they reignite. Uh, that rivalry that way. I hope so anyway. That would be awesome. And uh, it's good to see Dragon Lee back too. And then there's some other tags on the show. Um, most notable of which, I like that Ishii and Yoshihashi are teaming again. I like that little team of Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi. But uh looks like a fun-looking 47th anniversary show. We could get the return of Hiromu. We have a very interesting main event. And we've got two title matches. And um, any other thoughts on the anniversary show before we... Not really. Well, uh, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll have a preview up at voicewrestling.com, but yeah, I, I was going back and looking at prior years, and I love this show. I remember why this is like one of my favorite shows on the calendar, because it's unique and different. There's like some matches that you wouldn't normally get, like the Ishimori Liger kind of feels out of nowhere, the main event always feels kind of out of nowhere, and everybody seems to be, everybody kind of has their working boots on for, for whatever reason on this show too, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it kind of snuck up on us a little bit. Like I felt like it, 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 like we weren't really ready for it. Now it's like, oh shit, it's a week away. Uh, but now that we're kind of getting the preview ready and talking about it here, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I cannot wait for that, uh, that main event too to see kind of what, what, who delivers and and what it looks like and what the conversation is afterwards. So, so I'm all in. I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch it. So all Japan wrapped up the Excite series at the uh, Yokohama Bunka Gym. That's the uh, big building that some of these promotions that that aren't doing so hot tend to build around these days. Uh, they drew 2,109 fans, right around the same range of Kaito Kiyomiya's last defense for Noah. Uh, so, uh, you know, not so great, but not a total disaster either to see Kento Miyahara successfully defend against Suwama, defeating him in 32 minutes and 29 seconds. I had this match at four and a half stars. I love the story of the match with Suwama beating on Kento Miyahara for the majority of it. And most importantly, having an answer for Kento Miyahara's knee strikes. He evaded several of them. He didn't allow Kento Miyahara to hit those knee strikes as big transition moves. And then Kento Miyahara makes the big comeback at the end. And what a gorgeous finish this had with Kento Miyahara with that final straight jacket German holding Suwama in the air seemingly for oh, it was an hour. hour. Yeah, it was like an hour and a half of like Suwama. And you're like, oh. And that's a big man, Yeah, Rich. I was wondering, too. I was looking at his knees. Like, man, these knees are going to have to buckle, right? Like, there's no way he's going to be able to do it. But he did it, man. Yeah, that was, that was fun. And he puts him down and he scores the pin. And the big thing here is a match like this works so well because Suwama is at his best when he's just beating somebody up, right? And Kento Miyahara is at his best when he's selling and drawing sympathy because that's what he's great at, right? So this was a perfect storm. And like I said, I went four and a half on this. And I notice on the notes here, you put that the cage match inmates, we always check in with the inmates at the cage match. They went over nine with this, of course, a 10-point scale. Nine and a quarter, 9.26 as of this recording. Uh, Captain Krejci, the Unchained Gorilla 2, what did you think of Kento Miyahara and Suwama? And uh, keep in mind, we got about 10 minutes left. Yeah, so I'll go quick here. I really, really enjoyed it. A uh, lot of good back and forth between the two. And there was a lot of stuff in here that, that I know that you're going to kind of talk about a little bit as well. Stuff that I, you and I don't mind, but like, you know, some people some people do mind. But I don't, I, I liked, the, there was a lot of spots in this. Like the, the last half of the match was essentially Katsumi Ahara rising up for a minute or two to just go out of his fucking mind and Suwama putting him away. I mean, there was one sequence that I absolutely loved. Uh, where Miyahara, I forget what it was. He was on the ground. I forget what move dropped him to the ground. He rises up. He throws a, you know, one of his, you know, flying knees at Suwama. Puts him in the, it, it puts him in the German. Suwama gets out, throws him in the German. Then he pops up, hits one of the flying knees, and then you know Suwama, I think, comes off the ropes and just drop kicks the fuck out of him. And then Kento's just done for like another like five minutes or whatever. And I, I like those. I love the idea of a guy just kind of rising up. Maybe there's a part where he maybe he doesn't sell every single move, but he kind of works through it, works through it. And he's screaming the other time, and he's spitting, and he's he's snarling, and he wants all that. But then like Suwama just lays him out with a lariat, or lays him out with yeah. a drop kick, or lays him out this way, and it's just like fuck. And it kind of you get that little 
little buildup, like, oh, here's the comeback. And like, you're thinking that's going to be the comeback. And Suwama just puts him away. And, and, and Suwama's a guy that, you know, I, I'm hit or miss on him sometimes. There's a lot of times where I don't really like his output. Rich, and I, think I, every, I think everyone's hit or miss on Suwama. Okay, I, I'm glad. Because I always feel <laughs> I think like. you're alone there. Yeah, okay, because I, I always feel like I'm kind of being cruel and I'm just like, eh, I don't know. That was okay. This one, he was awesome. He was, he, he felt like he was seven foot four, 500 pounds in this match. I mean, he was just this big bruising guy that would just lay you out and just pound on Kento. And and like you said, it was that. He felt like a monster in this match. And sometimes Suwama doesn't feel like a monster. This time he did because Kento, everything he did was trying to knock Suwama down and get him down and, and, and gain that momentum. And then Suwama would just, as I said, hit him with a lariat, hit him with a dropkick, hit him with one move, and then Kento would be down for another five minutes or whatever. And then he'd rise up and then he'd have a minute or so. And then Suwama would put him away until, as you said, then you get you know, the parts where Kento throws him in the straitjacket, he does the one and Suwama kicks out. And then it's like, oh, fuck. Then he's got to put him in that next one and he's got to hold it and hold it and hold it and then finally hit him and then he puts it away. So I thought it was good. Yeah, I'm about four and a half stars. Same thing with you. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. And I think, yeah, the, both guys played their roles to perfection. Suwama is the monster. Kento is kind of the underdog trying to, you know, fight through the pain and and, and, and rise up for little minutes of, of, of spurts or whatnot. But yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, the no sell spot you talked about, I loved it. To me, that yeah, was one care. of the highlights. Yeah. That was one of the highlights of the match. But there's a lot of people that are going to be ultra critical of a spot like that. I think it worked, especially in this context. Um, now, you know, I I did set Twitter ablaze with some comments that I made in that, and I and I think partially it's my fault because I think the tweet may have came off in into where I think people may have thought that I was saying that Kento Miyahara was ripping off. Kenny Omega. Interestingly enough, I didn't name Kenny Omega in the tweet, but somehow people knew I was talking about Kenny yeah, Omega, which, which might have proved my point a little bit, that they're very similar in style. But my, my whole thing is, I just think Kento Miyahara and Kenny Omega are very similar wrestlers in terms of how they structure a match and how they work. I, I wasn't trying to say that Kento Miyahara is intentionally trying to rip off Kenny Omega because I don't think he is. And I think anyone who listens to this show obviously knows that. We've been talking about Kento Miyahara since forever. And, um, you know, I don't think he's ripping them off. I just think that they're two rests. And, and I think that the tweet, you know, for people who don't listen to the show, people may have misinterpreted the tweet and may have thought that I was saying that Kento Miyahara is some kind of, you know, I use the word cosplay, so maybe they thought I was saying that he's some kind of cosplay act of Kenny Omega, which obviously I don't think, and I didn't even bother like defending that because I don't care what random accounts that mean nothing to me, you know, have to say about that. I care about the listeners and and and, and the people that listen to the show, and they they and I had a lot of good conversations with people. Uh, you know, even if we ultimately disagreed, I think. We even found some middle ground, a lot of the people I talked to about this, who, you know, look, the point of Twitter ultimately, hopefully, is to have conversations, and whether you agree or not, you know, I know this is some kind of Pollyanna statement I'm making, but, you know, just to have a conversation about something and maybe learn something from each other instead of just quote-tweeting each other and, and, and trying to dunk on, on, uh, on one another. And I think there were a lot of productive conversations that came out of this as I made my point more clear. Um, you know, the, my point was, I just think they wrestle in a very similar manner. And outside of just spamming knees, they both of them spam the knee way too much. Now, Miyahara didn't do it in this match because, again, the story of this match is he couldn't. But there's a lot of matches where Miyahara has overused the knee to the same extent that Kenny Omega does. There's no question about it. And both guys have annoyed me in that regard. 
But I think they're both very similar in that they both have very good, impactful offense. I think they're both similar in that they both are melodramatic at times. We saw Kento Miyahara in this match with exaggerated facial expressions. And oh my god, he started as... the match off by screaming. Yeah, he started yes. every every hole. He got into you know the bell ring and he got into a grapple and just went ah for the first like five yeah. minutes of the match. Like he screams when he sells because he was like, "Fuck this!" No, it doesn't huge. bother me. Like he... this guy's huge. Shit. Like. You know, he screams when he sells. He has exaggerated facial expressions. He takes wild bumps, just like Kenny Omega. Uh, you know, I think Omega and Miyahara sell in a similar manner. Both of them do a great job selling and drawing sympathy. I think Miyahara might be a little better in that regard. I think Kenny's a little better offensively than Miyahara, even though they have similar offense. I think that Kenny Omega is a little more melodramatic than Kento Miyahara. I don't think they're carbon copies. I think they're similar. Here's what I think when it really comes down to it with Kenny Omega and Kento Miyahara. Look, they both work the same main event style with sometimes egregious near falls and and matches that go too far when it comes to that stuff. So they are similar in a lot of ways. I think when it comes to Kento Miyahara and Kenny Omega, I think they're similar. And the best way I could describe it is Kenny Omega is Kento Miyahara turned up to 11 in both the good and the bad ways. Is that entirely unfair to say? I think... What Kenny Omega is better at Kento Miyahara at some things, and I think the weaknesses of both guys, Kenny Omega is a little more over the top in some ways as well, with some of the theatrics and the melodrama, but they're both very similar. I just think Kento Miyahara is a slightly toned down Kenny Omega across the board, good and bad. Do you think that's fair, or do you think I'm out of line? No, I think you're fair, Uh, and, and, and they have a lot of similar selling styles that you mentioned as well, like... Kenny has mentioned that too, and 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 when he's been criticized about it, I think he has been pretty uh, vocal on, on on Twitter and other avenues of saying his style of selling is is what he sort of harkens back to in his sports days, where it's like something hurts for a little bit, but then you get some adrenaline and and you'll work through it a little bit, and 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 maybe it's not it, it it'll hurt as hell like hell after the match, and it hurts in the moment when it happens, but like you work through it, you work through it, you work through it, and and yeah, there might be points in the match where it, it, it pops up again, but like you can let it go for another ten minutes or whatever to try to win this match. So yeah, it might you might be great grabbing at your knee and thinking that it's going to be over and oh my god and, and Kenta did that many times during this match and does it during all of his matches he was grabbing his neck and grabbing his knee but then when push came to shove and he needed to throw those knees he was fine and when he needed to to put all the impact on his knees to do the bridging German or whatever it was fine because he can work through that to, to get to the win and, and, and whatnot and I've, I've never had any problem with that sort of selling and and you and I you know we talk about the quote-unquote no sell and when I people always bring up the no selling, no, no sell. Oh, he's not selling. Oh, no, he's not selling. Like, I don't think I've seen like an egregious no sell in year. Like when, when we talk about egregious no sells or when I talk about egregious no sells or what I think, I think back to the days of like early 2000s indies where guys would do, you know, 450 and get right up. And like, I'm thinking like, you know, the worst of like an amazing red or whatever. Not that he was always that guy, but you know, sometimes he would do that or, or shit, watch, watch MLW every week and watch Teddy Hart. Like he's still doing it. <laughs> you know, like that's what I think is like when you talk about egregious no sells, a guy holding his knee and then going and like using the knee 20 minutes later in a match. That's not, not selling. You, you know what I mean? Like that, that to me is plausible. That to me is fine. And like Kento in this match, he does do what I would consider a quote unquote, no sell. And we talked about it 
we, we talked about it many times in the show where he gets that German suplex and, and 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 he pops right back up and he's 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 fine and and he's cool and he and he hits one move but then he hits another move and then he's done and then like that guy beats him up and then he's just out for another ten minutes and we always talk about that cell doesn't bother me at all that makes all the sense in the world that there'd be that adrenaline that's kind of the Tomohiro Ishii cell uh, Kotobushi does that cell a lot of times too where it's like they rise up and they try to do everything they can to get that one last move in and once you get them down or once they're done hitting that move then they collapse then they fall I have no problem with that one and Kento does that one a lot too but i have no problem with it i think kento miyahara is great i think yeah. kento omega is great you can think both are great and think they're similar like you know what i mean like it's it's just yeah it's it's it's, it's unique one other quick point and then we got to wrap it up and maybe we'll do five minutes on the carnival on an overrun or something but because we got to wrap this up but one other quick point is uh is is with uh you know it, it's like with with kento and actually i just lost my train of thought you know why? Because I'm panicking because we're running out of time. We got we got about five minutes, the, uh, so you're good. You're good. Don't worry about it. Oh, we got about five minutes? We got about five okay. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought we had like a minute. So we, we, the other thing with the Kento Miyahara thing uh, with, with Kenny Omega that I, that I laid out in the tweet was that they are so similar, and yet I never see people rail against Kento Miyahara in the same manner that they rail against Kenny Omega for the egregious things that both guys do. Because I don't. I don't see it. But... Now that I've thought about it and talked to some people about it, the reason that I think that may have been unfair is simply because of exposure. Kenny Omega's matches, everybody's watching them. So if you don't like Kenny Omega and you think Kenny Omega, you know, is doing these horrible, these egregious things in matches, you know, we're going to hear about it. Nobody's watching All Japan. Rich, we always talk about this, you know. If this match is uploaded somewhere, it might have 100 views. I mean, no one's watching these things. So Kento Miyahara's exposure compared to Kenny Omega's exposure in the English-speaking world, it's not even a comparison. So, you know, what I learned was there are people critical of Kento Miyahara for the same things that they're critical of Kenny Omega of. It's just, of course, it's not going to be with the same ferocity because it's so fewer voices. Because there's just nobody watching the matches uh, in relation to how many people are watching Omega's match. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's for like, sure. you know, Kenny Omega is going to, you know, maybe if Kento Miyahara was having these matches, you know, on, on higher profile spots, you know, maybe we'd hear the same or similar complaints that we're hearing about Kenny Omega. I don't know. I just, I see things that Kento Miyahara does that are like mirror images of the things that Kenny Omega is doing. And Kenny Omega, you would think, is the worst wrestler on earth. And Kento Miyahara, to me, it's like, I don't know. I feel like he doesn't face the same criticism. But I will chalk that up to some extent. To exposure. I also think there's people. Yeah, exposure, who just... and and also like, yeah, it's fun to you get likes and retweets and and slaps on the back for, for exactly. talking shit about one of the guys, and and you don't get that for if you did it for the other guy. So there's, right, there's that right. too. There's I mean, an attention. Yeah, of course. Thing yeah, without question. Too. I'm trying to be diplomatic here, but yeah, yeah. You. There's also that factor of there's clout for picking on Kenny Omega. It's like it's it's you know it's it's it, and and Kenny Omega is so wildly popular and praised by a whole other sect of fan that people get annoyed by that and they have to counter it. And we've seen that all the time. That's the Roman Reigns effect, you know, where both sides are wrong. You, you know what I mean? It's like, you see a little bit of that with Omega 2 where it's, and like you're saying, I'm being way more diplomatic than I need to be. Here's what I don't need, Rich, and we'll close with this. This is what I don't need, okay? I don't need 20-year-olds quote-tweeting me telling me I need to be gatekeeped. You know how <laughs> I funny? Love that. I love that. Do you know how funny that is to me? Yeah, this is your, your... The, 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 the new trendy dunk 
is maybe gatekeeping is good or this is why we need gatekeeping. And then I look at the avatar and it's like a teenager. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I've got all Japan tapes older than you in my fucking attic. Okay, don't tell me I need to be gatekeeped, okay? I've been watching this company since before you were born, all right? So that just comes off so funny to me. Take you and your anime avatar and go watch Hello Kitty and just fucking don't talk to me. You you have no business speaking to Joe Lanza, okay? Don't tell me I need to be gatekeeped, okay? Go watch Voltron and leave me alone. Because it's always these dopey anime avatar people who are 20 years <laughs> these old. These are the worst examples you've ever taken. Well, yeah, well, you know, whatever. I'm Yuri on Ice. Use Yuri on Ice. That gives you some extra yeah, cred. Yuri whatever. Fucking Hello Kitty. You know, you know Yuri on Ice. You know Yuri on Ice. Fucking Sanrio Surprise. Whatever they're watching, okay? All right, I was Gundam. watching Throw fucking... Gundam down. That, that's a good, you know. Yeah, yeah, Gun, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, Neon Evangelista fucking Preacher, whatever that one's called. I don't fucking know. The point here is... Go watch a dopey anime, and, and don't fucking come into Joe Lanza's hemisphere, because I'm not going to give you the time of day, okay? I had productive conversations about this with people I respect, okay? Vinny Massaro wants to talk to me, I'll talk to him. Dylan Harris wants to talk to me, I'll talk to him, okay? John Carroll wants to talk to me, I'll talk to John Carroll. Anyone else, hit the bricks. I got no time for you. If you don't follow me, you don't listen to this show, and you're 20 years old, don't tell me I need to be gatekeeped, okay? I do the gatekeeping around here. Take a hike. Anyway, I had to get that in before we end the show. That's good. Uh, any, we got about a minute. Any uh, other highlights from the show? Uh, feel bad that we, we kind of rushed through it here. We'll talk about Champion Carnival next week, but uh, anything else, uh, highlights, uh, things you need to see on the show? Uh, uh, the Junior Battle of Glory Final, Koji Iwamoto defeats Saiki uh, Yoshioka. Saiki Yoshioka brought something different to the table here. He was the outsider. He's uh, one of, uh, I believe he, uh, he's one of... Uh, one of Shima's boys. What am I trying to think of here? Strong Hearts. He's a Strong Hearts guy. Um, he was a prick heel here. He did a tremendous job. I went about three and a half on this. Iwamoto's a guy who doesn't do much for me. He basically got beat up the entire match and then won it with the judo throw at the end. I'm really rushing through this. I should give it more, uh, uh, but we just don't have time. Um, you know, I, look, Iwamoto, I don't love him, but All Japan has terrible juniors. This is usually the worst tournament in Japan all year long. And um, look, he's their guy, and they're going with him, and I can't blame him. I was glad that a guy like Yoshioka made the final, though, because it gave this a little more flavor. The tag team title match with Strong BJ defeating Jake Lee and Ryuji Sai didn't do a ton for me at all. I thought it was fine, but nothing special, nothing you have to go out of your way to see. I am losing faith in Jake Lee. I thought he got eaten up on the Baba Show, which, um, you know, if you're going to be the next big star, you can't get eaten up on a, in a spot like that. And I don't think he stood out here. I think Jake Lee is not doing anything to stand out. I'm not seeing Jake Lee and thinking that dude is the next fucking star. He's not jumping off the screen for me. He's not doing anything to jump off the screen for me. And at this point, I'm very down on Jake Lee and I'm very skeptical that Jake Lee is going to happen. They may try, but I'm skeptical that it's going to work. And he loses a lot, too. I mean, you know, I, I was watching some random house shows and his side was losing. The, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, maybe they don't see him as the next guy, um, like all of us assume that they would. The only other match of consequence was Ni- uh, uh, Nomura defeating Dylan James. And uh, it was a Dylan James singles match, which means it wasn't very good. And it wasn't really uh, worth your time at all. I'd go about two stars on that one. And the first half of the show were just a bunch of tags. And uh, uh, nothing that you need to concern yourself with unless you're a hardcore fan of the company. I know we blew through this, but and I would have given all of these matches more time, but we're right up against it. 
Yeah, sorry about that. But uh, yeah, we are uh, about out of time here. So anyway, I'll let you know. VoicesWrestling.com. VoicesWrestling.com slash forums. Uh, also on Twitter, at VoicesWrestling. Uh, you can sign up to the New Japan Cup contest at VoicesWrestling as well. Uh, or you can just look for the pinned tweet uh, at VoicesWrestling. On Twitter, make sure you subscribe to us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash VoicesWrestling. Any purchase you make, VoicesWrestling.com slash Amazon. And we uh, gotta go. So for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Krejci, and we'll see you next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.